0: Hi there, and welcome to the Intellectual Adventure Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Benjamin Haney, today we're going to be discussing interacting with social systems and the various elements of socializing. Even if we aren't joined by the other members, I do have a couple of other points here in discussion format, so we can go over those as well, and we should still have a nice full discussion. I'm really excited to jump into today. Benjamin, do you have any points you'd like to lead with?
1: I think just for starters, I think the one that you and I have talked a little bit about, and I think we can both relate on this one as far as sociability goes, is perhaps, um, you know, w- working with ADHD and for me, at least perhaps a little bit of neurodivergence in trying to interact within social spheres. I think my thing really kind of centers around with ADHD. It, it's not necessarily extremely difficult, but it does make things a little bit more interesting when you're trying to, I mean, I'm sure anyone who watches who actually, who has ADHD or ADD or some other form of attention deficit disorder or neurodivergence can relate to that of when you're going through and you're actually interacting with people, there are certain ways that we have to conduct ourselves. Not necessarily speaking that we have to, but help us in a social setting more. A cactus, I don't know if you have any experience with that as far as like, you know, dealing with our ADHD and being able to go in and try and interact with people.
0: Yeah. ADHD and for me, ADHD or autism and, and ADHD. I have high-functioning autistic spectrum disorder. So for me, socializing has always been a bit of a weird aspect. It's hard to get on the same brain space that other people are in for me. It's hard to reach the same level of understanding. And for me, it was like, I'm learning now in in my later life that that's actually not what socializing is about. you you do want to gain a level of understanding, but it's not the only reason people interact with each other. You know, you, you socialize to bounce ideas off of each other. You socialize to test social norms, to test morality, ethicality, things like that. And I had to learn how to socialize very late in my life because my ADHD and my ADHD held me back from those things having very, very different thought processes and stresses and worries than some of my peers had throughout the years, especially at a very young age. My formative years, you know, seven to to 15, trying to relate to my peers was quite difficult, especially because, you know, my focus is in a million different places. I'm not thinking about our history lesson and our history homework. I'm thinking about, you know, why Napoleon did what he did and why everyone says he's short, even though he was five, seven, which was pretty average for the time. And he's actually kind of tall based an entire complex off of a guy who was just average height. (laughs) So these, my brain goes down very different avenues as to what other people focus on. So the social aspect for me with ADHD, I I can definitely relate to what you're saying is it, it was, it was difficult um, it, it proposed a lot of interesting challenges <laughs> that I would say a neurotypical person may not have experienced as much. I won't just dismin- I won't diminish their struggle and say they don't experience it at
1: all. But oh, absolutely yes. Yeah. So, because with me, it's from my own personal experiences. It's very much that early age development. I think is going to be the most difficult because I mean it's as you were saying, not to diminish other people's struggles with interacting with people, but those very young formative years when you're trying to go and learn social etiquette, you're kind of not only coming to understand the world, but you're also trying to understand yourself. For me, I didn't, I didn't fully get a for me, at least, I was tested for uh, ADHD when I was really young, but the test came back inconclusive. So pretty much up until I went to college, I didn't even really I didn't know I had ADHD. And so going through was kind of it was difficult and I didn't really have anything to kind of show me or really kind of point to why I was at, interacting the way that I did, where I very much was like that That. Kind of scattered mentality of just like oh you know or talk about this sort of thing yada yada, yada. oh what about this over here but yeah, I think that we should take this into consideration and it's a very much a back and forth for on top of it as well as like um, fidgeting in class that one was
0: yeah distracting really... others and the teacher
1: yeah exactly and <laughs> it, it's one of those. Not to say it's a less empathetic situation, but I think as far as now given the the evolution or the change and progress in psychology and understanding the human psyche and seeing where we were now compared to twenty years ago, there's a lot more taken into consideration. When you know kids are actually going through school and trying to learn, but then also being aware of each individual, I'm sure it's a lot more difficult if there's a significantly larger school. Um, but for the most part, now I think it's 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 not easier, but there's much more knowledge about it. So I think it's it's kind of helping kids a little bit. Yeah, it's more managing that social. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And, and a little bit more aware. And that's actually a really cool thing about uh, the school systems nowadays that Cameron and I did touch a little bit on our episode um, of the Intellectual Adventure. You can check that out at the Intellectual Adventure Podcast, uh, Spotify list, or website, which we will plug down, down below.
1: All right. Down uh, below. Up How here. Do I point it down. Up um, here. Over here with-
0: yeah, shameless plug. Don't don't mind that. Go check out that episode and where Cameron and I took a deep dive into changes in the school system. But yeah, we touched based on resources available. And that's a big one for me. You know, I also was not diagnosed until very recently. I I was in therapy for other things. I spent in therapy just for the the after effects of the car accident. Things like uh, I still I still am apprehensive about getting behind the wheel of a vehicle. I still don't have my full driving license, and I have never really put more than fifteen hours into driving right now. Um, just a lot of anxiety behind it. I still white knuckle every time we have a close encounter, or things like that. Just I don't. Know, after being after being in that situation, I had to go through therapy. So definitely no shame in, in, you know, getting some therapy if you feel like that's something you need and on a tangential note, but back to the topic, um, in therapy. And, you know, it was like, I started seeing all these TikToks and these reels and everything else, but like, uh, how my ADHD takes form in my life. And I was just like, holy crap. You ever hit 30 for 30 on a checklist and go, this might be me. People are like, oh, you're just identifying with a few symptoms. I'm like, no sense of time, poor social interactions, poor management of tasks, poor organizational skills, um, bad attention for long duration tasks, poor ability to get started on tasks, once hyper-focused, intense ability to do a task for a long period of time with no difficulty. You know, we went through the checklist of like, You know, but as a kid, we didn't have that. So it was difficult not knowing why you were the weird one, why you didn't think the same way as your classmates. Everyone was like, I'm so worried about Tiffany's birthday party. And you're just like, what is a birthday? Why is zero zero to one a birth? Like, what what are we celebrating here? Are we celebrating milestones of getting closer to dying? And it's just, You go into this weird tangent, and was like, that's dark. And you're like,
1: is it? Oh, sorry. And my bad. My, my, my bad. bad. <laughs> yeah, right. and, I, and I think that that's kind of the thing there, is that at that young age, it's, especially like in, as you were saying, in those development years where it's, everyone's kind of learning to socialize, and it's not per se recognition that, I mean, of course, there are social cliques, and then that, of course, has its own influence as far as bullying and outcasting, which I, for me, I'll get a little bit further into when we start talking about if uh, when we get on the issue of substance abuse. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I've
0: got a couple of points later, Don, about bullying and groups. So,
1: because with that though is. I noticed for me, at least, it's like I I found my certain social groups, per se, um, talking about substance abuse further down. It wasn't until I got to college and I started um, really kind of interacting with more academic spheres that – and I started talking with people and I realized like, oh, these people are – a lot of these people are really similar to me, and – from and that's the thing like when we think of sociability as far as with adhd and autism it's that when you're young those development years there are certain cliques that form but as you become an adult you gain more independence and you kind of start to develop your own sense of self you manage to find groups that have those similar characteristics to you many people in my friend many people in my friend groups have adhd or they have type a personalities or they have all these different things and as you get older and you establish that sense of identity you're going to find like-minded people and now that i'm in those now that i'm in those groups and i'm you know going into i'm trying to learn more and go into academia as a career i'm learning i'm like wow i can My ADHD can really kick my ass sometimes, but this also is providing me with almost a boon because as you were saying, when someone's talking about Napoleon, you're thinking, why do we have this social complex around him being sure? Why why do we consider him in this way? It provides you with a different lens. And that for me, I'm finding is actually really kind of helping me and it's almost like a the another element that i'm able to bring to my profession and to my studies which i'm actually really the more that i go into it the more i'm like oh this is actually kind of helping me hard to have a conversation sometimes but you know damn yeah no that's it
0: you actually have some awesome points there i love the way you said that Kind of caught me off guard because now I, I, I'm thinking about something I've been thinking about for the last few weeks and it's been hard to put into words. As as neurological studies happen and as the sciences evolve around imaging the brain um what are the the really intense mRIs called fmris Yes, it is an fMRI, functional magnetic resonance imaging. So rather than just magnetic resonance imaging. And it measures small changes in blood flow that occur with brain activity. So they're using this type of technology to implement a lot of change in the way that we actually analyze how a brain works in, in the moment. And during sleep, during um, bouts of ADHD, and this is how we're getting people. You may have seen reels, or you know, people, our viewers may have seen reels where uh, they have. This is my husband's brain during a, a task of of focus or things like this, and then this is my brain, and you know, it shows like how one part of their brain is just completely diminished in how lit up it is because it's, it's physically struggling to create the the interest in being able to action on the task and to be able to start the task. Once it's started, once the interest is there, it lights up and it starts to work. But it's the initial process is that brain functionality is limited. But that's not to say that we're limited. What I think it stems from, and this is where my thought process has been going the last few weeks, When you're a very, very, very young child, and bear with me here, this is gonna get very imagery-based, you have the same, you have very few developed neurons and synapses firing in your brain. I, I like to view it as independent strands of floating information, all kind of stemming loosely from one point, and none of it has connections yet as you grow and those formative formative years occur, you are starting to form those crossroads and those connections. And it ends up being that unbelievable uh, web of neurons, that 3D web. But with ADHD, because your brain is branching into so many different sub-branches, you end up with harder to connect some of those core connections that people make at a very early age for neurotypical people, because their focus isn't pulled away from those concepts. Their focus builds on those foundational concepts, which is great, but they also don't get that diversity, that altered lens, as you were saying, because they have five or six very strong woven webs of very firm knowledge that they understand. And then branching out from that is things that don't have very many connections whereas i find people with neuro uh, neurodivergencies have very elaborate connections like myself i'm looking for the surface level connection but then the sub level connection and then the root level connection and then maybe like an altered perspective level of perception where I, i have to cast everything that I know into doubt and be like, okay, but what if I'm wrong about everything? What the, you know, the theoretical perspective of we don't understand entirely, so what if that's just wrong? And so you have these, these crazy branches of synapses that don't actually technically connect to those foundational ideas, but they're inroads to great levels of imagination or uh, profound thought
1: things one do you think in images
0: yeah oh my god yes 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 and i got called out on this so hard once i i saw um oh god what is that adhd couple um the one girl has the girl has blue and black hair split um
1: i don't think i've seen that couple
0: Oh, uh, i have to send you they have some really great adhd awareness reels um but oh uh, they they called me out on this they're like when you when you see the alpha when you say the alphabet like you see the letters right and the husband's like no she's like what do you mean like like what like when you say like a a b c like you don't see a big blocky a b c like a, like a bubble letter it's like, no. <laughs> it's like, and I'm just sitting here in my head. I'm like, yep. And then he's like, what about like numbers? And I was like, yep, numbers too. I, I think it is.
1: See, and I, actually, that's really interesting that you point that out because to, yeah, I'm going to branch off here because – uh yep, Please do all the circle back. We'll we'll circle back at a point, ladies and gentlemen. This is this is the ADHD <laughs> and eventual adventure podcast. What I actually find very interesting with that, first of all, is the the discussion of branches. That very much for me is really on the nose there, because when I'm thinking about a topic, I'm not thinking so much about the one. Um, and this for me is where I'm, I'm I want to be like. I don't want to go, uh, you know, and speak for neurotypical people because evidently I don't. It's it's the way in which I think is I'm realizing as I get older and I'm talking with more people is it's very much um, the way in which I think is is unlike neurotypical people. And it allows me to it provides me with, as said, that different lens and a depth to it, which what i'm noticing especially now is like as i'm going to archaeology and the field school and i'm getting more as i'm immersing myself more in the academia and the professional setting there are a fair amount of people with with i don't know if it's just uh, if it's just specifically for my major but if with neurodivergence it's like there is like there's a fair amount of neurodivergent people within academia. And for me, I'm realizing, I'm like, ah, this is actually really interesting. This is providing me with multiple layers of perspective and understanding to a single subject. It is no longer one dimensional. And the more I'm getting into it, the more I'm like, wow, this actually is really going to help me. And from there, in those early development years um, where Oftentimes, if you're seen as different, you're kind of put into these social out and you're kind of you can become a social out. I don't know if you've ever had to deal with that in, you know, in uh, in, in school at all when you're younger. But when you kind of get put into that group, you, you oftentimes it's like, oh, what's wrong with me? It's not how different when you're younger and especially when it comes to, you know, this is where peer pressure, um, anxiety comes in. Oftentimes it's, it's not, how do I think differently? It's what's wrong with me. And I think that's where, which is where technology and sociability are really coming in handy here because now people with ADHD and neurodivergence are have a platform that has a huge outreach and now it's reaching it's reaching out to people who may be going through something and maybe like oh what's wrong with me? what's wrong with me it's like it's not you there's nothing wrong with you you just built different it's as said the the reels couple who are the adhd couple who are like oh hey i think this way do you think this way no i don't think this way and it's very much not only Destigmatizing neurodivergence, perhaps, you know, different mental, different psyches and mental developments. But it's also then providing that awareness. And if someone is struggling with understanding, you know, how they think and their neurodivergence, that's giving them an outlet to be like, oh, I'm not actors, you know, there's nothing actually wrong with me. I just don't think the way everybody else does.
0: Exactly, we're we're destigmatizing, and that's a great word. Um, we are taking away the negative connotation of the idea that there's something wrong with being neurodivergent. And my biggest issue with that is, I understand how you can see that with someone like who has nonverbal autistic spectrum disorder, and you know they might have aggressive fits and things like this, but. <clears throat> Um, yeah, I, I can see how that can, can be deemed difficult to deal with. But it's, it's a very finite group of the population, and it's it's an unfortunate circumstance. But typically, you see that those people are unbelievably developed in specific areas. So, and to the point of of you know prodigy level development or just unbelievable levels of proficiency in things that other people may struggle with their entire lives. And so it's like, truly, it, it, it goes, it shows me that if you're unbelievably gifted in one regard, you will probably suffer in other regards. There, there is no such thing as perfect. And if you are near perfect in one regard, you're going to have other areas that fall short. And that's just what it always seems to be to me you know, the diversity of thinking as, a, as an ADHD individual, absolutely there are struggles because the percentage of people with ADHD that are recognized is not the same as people without ADHD that are recognized. So the world is built for people without ADHD and without neurodivergencies. I'm not gonna type form that into one thing. And because we're, we're forced to conform, or we were forced to conform and now things are starting to become a little bit better adjusted and, and just more accepting that, you know, in a crazy rushed world, we might need a couple extra seconds, minutes, hours, days to deal with things than a regular person would, but in a crisis situation, you or I would be the first person to go to because we would have all the details planned out, in 36 different circumstances and we would know where we're going to go for emergencies and how we're going to organize it and who's going to do first aid and manage because we've already thought of all of this because we couldn't help but think (laughs) and so it's it's a superpower in its own regard you know it comes with some some setbacks but it it's it
1: can be helpful for sure
0: and i like you how you related it to your prefer your professional career
1: yeah. And I, it's, it's it, when you're younger. And I think this is where we as with coming with technology and all this other stuff is, and we're raising awareness and destigmatizing it is as you're getting older and you're develop, and as I was saying, as you're developing yourself, you're kind of coming to a question of like, Oh, who am I, you know, in this world? I don't know if everyone kind of goes through that. I'm also, I think this reflects my, my ADHD and perhaps a touch of the tism, uh, is my depth with philosophy. This is what, and so oftentimes whenever I'm going out and I'm actually interacting socially, I feel like we've talked about the benefits of ADHD. We've talked a little bit about the struggles. Let's go a little bit more into the struggles simply because talking as far as like interacting with people. And for me, it's like trying to read, sometimes it's trying to read expressions. Oftentimes I'm able to, I've trained myself pretty well to be able to, uh, to recognize people kind of work off of, um, the vibe of how people are talking. I try to listen in and tune into the, um, the discussion whenever I'm talking with someone, but in your, when you're in larger social situations and you're interacting with people, it can be very hard to read and kind of gauge how people are feeling and thinking, um, you know, I don't know what your experiences are with that. Um, But uh, for me, I've had a a fair amount of issues with that one.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really great narrative point to bring in. Um, For me, there's definitely been some struggles in that regard and and how it's affected my socializing in large groups. I have always preferred person-to-person interaction because it's easier to get... Clear, concise communication, and I'm not sure if it's the same with you, but with my specific neurodivergencies, I have an, a deep desire to have complete understanding of something. If I if I want to take on a topic, I have to know it inside out, backwards, upside down, in five different languages. And I just that's just the way my brain works. Um, I said I don't, I don't know if, if you experience that. But if I don't understand it, I think that's kind of the autism in me. It's just, I need that level of understanding before I can properly have the confidence to interact with something, if that makes sense. I I don't feel good about the way I interact with something until I know I can trust myself. It's a weird, it's self turmoil thing there. But then in group sittings, Um, You know, I I can communicate that on -on one-on-one in a group setting. It's very difficult for me to express that with people to gain the level of understanding I need. And then to, to ask people, you know, very probing questions sometimes to get that level of understanding. And they're very, they're off put then because they're like, well, why are you asking this? This is, I'm just talking about my plans for the weekend. I don't, why why are you asking about who's going to be there? What time it is, you know, what I'm going to be wearing? Do I know what the weather's going to be like? It's just some people, you know, neurotypical people, they just like, let's go to do this. And my brain goes, but what about this and this and this and this? And then if this happens, what if so-and-so cancels? What if it's just you and me? Is that going to be weird that we're just kind of like there with, group activity that should have been for 10 people and no one thinks that way and so you kind of you like everyone hops on the bandwagon and it's hard to get in line with everyone who's like yeah 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 let's do that and no one puts a second thought into it and you're like but what about if things go wrong they're like well things go wrong it happens I I don't know how to interact with that in a group setting.
1: (laughs) Dude, a hundred percent. And I think that that's also been my thing is like to pull into that is like with ADHD, there's no off switch doc. We can't turn it off. It's just 24 seven from when I wake up to when I go to bed, this is the way that I am thinking at all speeds of the day. So sometimes it's easier when I'm, you know, hyper fixating on a task or I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking in multiple dimensions about something. But when then it comes to transferring to social situations, that mentality, that way that I have been, that my brain thinks is now trying to assess that same situation with other people, which I think then breaks into the instance of, randomness and things that are outside of my control and being able to navigate through that. And especially when it comes to, with other people, me, I love talking. I don't know if you, I don't know if you know from the podcast, Noticed. but I do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Tell me more about how you love talking, Benjamin. We should oh, dive I into that talking. real quickly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's cause it's, I like, I for someone who has ADHD and sometimes has hard time reading people. I love interacting. I'm very much a people person. I my friends are like, oh, you're you're, I got that dog in me. Yeah, I'm that dog. Of I'm very outgoing, very happy go lucky. like, oh, I love interacting with people. Yada yada yada. Like golden retriever. Um, and with that is, I almost lost it on bringing it back. All right. Got it. Um, with that, when I'm in a social group and I, and I'm wanting to talk about something, uh, especially if it's in a group setting and it's a discussion, I used to not, sh- pardon my language. I used to not shut the fuck up and realize when my turn talking was when I was done with my time to talk freshman year, I was in an English class and We had weekly discussions where we all sit around in a circle and talk about the topic and my thing. Initially I was like, I hate being in a a group setting, especially when it's a, a discussion or it's a, it's talking and no one says anything. There's a prompt that is given and nobody says anything. And for me, I, I realize that no, very early in the class, no one's going to talk. So I'm like, I'm going to say something because I hate sitting in silence. I'll talk
0: about that in just a moment. Yup. <laughs> yup. Oh, every, my God.
1: Every single question, every prompt that was asked, I would give a response regardless of whether or not I knew what I was talking about, if I had studied that my brain was going to go and try and give an answer not just because like i like talking but because well i because i like talking but also because i don't like it when other people don't talk and when it came my turn to do a discussion it was so quiet it was so like I was looking from person to person, like, please say something. I, I'm the <laughs> one now in the driver's seat. You all have to provide some, just dis- some talking points. Yeah. Oh, dude. It, and it, it, it's one of those. It's now that I'm going in and I'm becoming more aware of myself, I'm realizing it's like, oh, it's okay if. It's it can be frustrating, but I also have to accept that if nobody wants has anything to say or they don't want to interact, I just got to step back and try not to fill that space. I am having to train myself to be okay with that. That awkward emptiness in perhaps discussion and just be like, okay, this is you don't
0: always need to fill that empty space. (laughs)
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah, um that empty space so I'll, I'll I'll start there and I'll work backwards um right. in typical ADHD fashion short-term memory so <laughs> the that awkward space what I've realized is good about that awkward space for neurotypical people they need that time to get their thoughts in order they you and I uh, I'm gonna' I might I don't want to speak for you here myself and most of the people that i've met with neurodivergencies i'm going to call them universes i live in about 20 to 30 different universes at any given time the one that i'm living in you know reality and then the the 19 to 20 or 30 other ones that my brain makes up and goes ooh, but what if this happened? What if this person said this? And if they said this, how would I respond to this? And if they responded like this, how would I respond to that? And if I responded like this, then what would that? And if they've created this line of discussion, then oh, we might end up going into this. And if we went into this, they might start to get upset with me. And if they got upset with me, then I wouldn't know how to deal with that in this situation. I would have to extract myself from the situation. And so then I have to figure out which universe I'm actually living in, you know? Did I tell this person that I thought maybe they were upset with me and now I'm looking at them funny like, and they're looking at me like, and, and, you know, and, and you're just kind of staring at them and then you're like, and then it becomes this weird, awkward mental game where they don't know what you've said at all. And you're looking at them like, Oh, Oh, this is real life. I, I'm, you're looking at me for a response. Did you say something? Did you, were, were words spoken? They're like, no, you're just looking at me weird. You're like, Oh no that's no 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 that's nothing to do with you. That, that was uh, that was five universes over. I was thinking about what if you were a snail. I'm like what? You're like I, I don't know man.
1: <laughs> oh dude. Oh <laughs> so
0: hey, because we live in, in multiple different universes at once, where a lot of different conversations and different events, and some people are snails, happen. <laughs> um, that awkward pause for normal people is where they catch up. Because the other universes, I like to think of it as like you know, it's Naruto with his shadow clone jutsu. He's learning, he's learning fifteen different things all at once, and all of his shadow clones come back, and he gains all that knowledge. You know, you're in all those different universes. You get all those different experiences and the mental aspect of things. And then you come back to the moment and you're like, Oh, Oh, I just lived many different lives just through thought. <laughs> it's like, and then you come back and you've already got a full conversation planned and you're waiting for people to catch up. And that's how I felt most of my life. I don't know if you can relate to that.
1: If, if I can jump in there, yep. the, what you call universes, I call scenarios. That was, I I actually appreciate you bringing that up because for me, I'm always like, I, I, I don't always know how to describe it to people where I'm just like, Oh, I create these scenarios in my brain, almost like movies as, as I'm playing them out and stuff. And it's funny that you describe them as universes because for me, and I don't know if you, um, if you experience it at all, but when I go into perhaps my universes per se, um, oftentimes they can get very, I don't want to say very, they, they can get purposefully dark, but given my line of thought and how things go, oftentimes they can lead to a dark place. Yep, They can lead to a dark place. And from that, then I very much, I don't want to say, oh, I'm an empath. I find myself to be a very empathetic person. I do my best to really kind of be aware of people's feelings and my own. And with that, then when I think of these situations, I start to feel these emotions. It for me almost creates a pseudo chemical response of if I'm thinking about the situation, these are the emotions that I'm feeling. These, these emotions yeah. here are real which I find yeah. that your description of them being universes actually very much, I think it kind of applies, makes a little bit more sense than me just saying scenarios because scenarios, you can, you know, consider different outcomes, but if you're going, if you're, if your thought process goes to a bit of a bit more darker place, you feel it, you get, yeah. you get a response an actual emotional response and, Oftentimes, like if I'm having a fairly good day, I will, and something goes wrong, my imagination and my created universes will then immediately start to switch to a darker element and they will go dark very, very quickly. And from that, day yeah. I gain, uh, that my emotional response almost kind of has like a positive feedback loop and it just keeps drawing this emotional power.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Like, like a negative feedback loop, but yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Um, you're, you're, very, very right on that. And, and I can relate to that in the regard that they recently and through therapy and through other things, uh, the importance of self-speak and self thought is really, really important. I used to use a lot of self-deprecating humor, um, which I still do a little bit every now and then. Like, I oh, yeah, yeah. decided to be a good idea to put arugula on the burger and now we're out. That was, that was something like my chef the other day. I was working in the kitchen. Um, I, did, I did my feature burger the night before. And so one of our prep cooks was doing arugula and my chef was confused. She's like, we just prepped arugula. You know, we had the one that was going to go bad and then we had like a full backup. And I was like, yeah, some decided to put it on the burger. But, you know, self deprecating humor. It, there's a place for it as long as right afterwards, every time I say, you know, a negative thing about myself, three positive things. It's, um, I'll, I'll call myself dumb and then I'll be like, but you made an awesome feature last night that sold out. You got nothing but rave reviews. You do make a lot of great food. You put a lot of dedication into your food. You, you know, you pour passion and things. So just that, that level of, Thinking about it, because, as you said, you know it's you start living in in five, ten dark universes all at the same time. and and then it's doom and gloom and and people wonder why you don't talk to them for three months, and it's just because you know you got in your head and you thought, they were upset with you. It, it, it's it, it's that scenario: the wife goes to sleep and dreams the husband cheated on her, or did something dumb, and wakes up hitting them. And, uh, you uh, you, uh, you know.
1: Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, he's waking up and they just be like,
0: "Huh." Oh. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> exactly, See, you know. So, the, the clueless outsider type of outlook. I know you're welcome to jump in there.
1: It's it's for me that very much that self-deprecating humor where it is, I would in. I feel like this is perhaps just me as a person, but also I feel as a result of my ADHD and perhaps a touch of autism is that I will have moments. Uh, Cameron will (laughs) Cameron can attest to this um, because I've known him for so many years, but he and my friends came up with something called a "Ben moment where it doesn't matter if it seems the most, uh, the most easiest thing, the most simple (laughs) thing I will somehow manage to make to 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 not understand and mess it up a bit. <laughs> I just remember they they did the uh they did the was it the uh always sunny in philadelphia the bum 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 yeah so that that became a a standard amongst my friend group but it was one of those things where even in a joking manner um and this is where i think When it comes for me, at least in my discovery of self with uh, with self-reflection and philosophy, it's, as you said, that there's that element of self-deprecating humor because that can help us deal with the arcness of like, ah, shit, what, man, what a dumbass. I wonder who could have done that. But if you don't have a reinforcement to try to counter it, that can easily build up. And what I love with my now that as I'm an adult and I think as people are my friends with ADHD or with neurodivergence are becoming more aware. It's like having that self deprecation, but then immediately being like, not, com- not comforting the person, but going and being like, "Aha, ah, ha That's really funny. You're still a good person though. Don't worry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That moment of the, the build up and I just want to reiterate that this uh, last bit does not only apply to neurodivergent people. The only part of this I feel that really applies to the neurodivergent people is the the multiple scenarios, multiple universes yeah. aspect of it, where it, it's compounding, you know, it compounds very, very quickly when you're existing in multiple negative thought process, uh, processes at once. And when you do that, it's... It's easy for negativity to compound. And knowing some of the statistics around mental health and neurodivergence, I can very much understand uh, mortality rates and things like that. Um, considering how quickly your thought process can cripple your entire day, week, month, and so it's not to say that this is exclusively a neurodivergent experience. It's just to say that 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 compounding effect of, of the thought process um,
1: is just kind of makes our, our- just
0: kind of makes the, the curve ramp up exponentially, rather than you know you have it. It, it almost seems like uh, I'm not going to speak for neurotypical people here. From my viewpoint. It seems as though there's more time to process because your brain isn't as focused on it. And it's it's easier to deal with negativity because, or it's the only thing you're focused on and it's your core focus of, okay, there's grief affecting me. Not there's grief affecting me. Now, what could I have done about this? Why didn't any of my past me think about this? I couldn't, I didn't think about this survivor's guilt. Just, Again, you start, it's just that compounding the multiple universes, five, 10, 15 different scenarios all going on in your head at the same time, going, what if, why not, why couldn't I, this, well, this, if I had, then this. And, uh, and it's just, it's really easy to get lost in that negativity, no matter who you are.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And I'm trying to like, I'm, I, my brain, I'm like ADHD and then I'm trying to wrangle my thoughts into to move on to the to figure out where to go next with it. Jumping back. And I yep. feel that this is as jumping back for the the socializing and the, the empty space as people catch up and think. Yep. For me, this is kind of where substances come in. This is where um and actually I'm not sure if you're familiar, but I think it's the the gaming psychologist or um I can't remember his name I but he's a he's a he's a psychologist who um interacts a lot with the gaming community and he talks a lot about neuro he talks about like neurodivergence doctor of course he's gonna be of course he's gonna be a doctor duh otherwise you know um
0: but loses one, a little bit of credibility Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh, he's just some dude. The the doctor is what gives it that punctuation of, oh.
0: I'm actually just PhD aquatic cactus. I don't know if you guys knew that.
1: (laughs) Dr. Aquatic cactus. Actually, I asked ADHD sidetrack. I asked my dad um, because he has a PhD. So he is uh, Dr. Heaney. And so I asked him, I was like, hey, dad, if I were to go and get my PhD, would I have to – be Doctor Heaney the second, and because I was just like, how funny and kind of cool that be to be like, oh, I'm Doctor Heaney the second. How do you do, Doctor
0: Heaney oh, no, Junior?
1: Doctor Heaney is my father. I'm Doctor Heaney the <laughs> second, and he's and he's just like no, uh, he's like no. They, they would just give you a, a custom one that would say Doctor Benjamin Heaney, and then you just go by Doctor Heaney. And I'm just like, wow, oh, that would have been so funny. <laughs> um. But one thing that uh that the 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 doctor that I was referring to, but even though I can't remember his name, um he had a uh he was doing an episode on or I think it was a stream on uh neurodivergence and ADHD autism and such. Something that he mentioned is that people with ADHD with um with neurodivergence are at a high and don't quote me here. I'm paraphrasing. Have a higher risk for substance abuse because yes, they do. <laughs> that is that is
0: not a uh, an unsubstantiated claim. Um, I'm not going to throw out a percentage, but the percent the percentage is high. It, it's and not I great. Th-
1: yeah, and I feel like part of that, and this is where I'm going to try and pull from my own experiences here. In back in junior high and high school, I. I don't elementary school. I dealt a lot with trying to find a place. There was a lot of times where I was bullied. And so trying to be able to find that space was really difficult. And that group of people that I could really interact with. Um, And, you know, I found it through time, but at the same, but when I got into junior high, I, um, I started hanging out with a bunch of people who in, in the junior high, age s uh were smoking you know smoking marijuana and dude, it feels so weird just to say marijuana. I, I just like smoking weed, smoking pot, you know. Um
0: marijuana
1: They were smoking they were smoking dope. Hey.
0: Yeah, obviously the connotation dope. the connotation at the time is a little bit different, but you know, even yeah, in exactly. formative years smoking weed Anytime below eighteen to twenty one really isn't a great idea. Your brain yeah. is still developing. I mean I'm a hypocrite for saying that, but I I know better.
1: Yeah, I, I, a- I now I now know better. And see that's the thing, it's just like you can't change it. It happened, you can't change it. You can only move forward and recognize it. For me, yep. it was back. When I started smoking, for me, one, it was associability. It was, oh, I found uh, this is something I can do and I could interact with people. I can, fit I, in. can have, yep. I can fit in.
0: Fuck, yeah, that's, that's relatable.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think that's, this is where it kind of comes in with peer pressure as well, is that you want to be able to fit in, which is then why um, these things, which, first of all, if you are under the age of 21,
0: if you're under 21, don't smoke weed and it's legal other places when you're younger, but it, from a psychological standpoint,
1: don't do it. From my own personal experiences. Um, and so it was a very much, it was a social thing. It was something that I'm able to be like, Oh yeah, wow. I'm able to really kind of connect with people now. I'm cool per se. Um, one other thing for me at least, and this is where the issue of self-medication comes in. Um, is for me i felt like it was slowing down my adhd it allowed me to function at the same level and pace that everybody else around me was functioning at and
0: Um, yeah at least a a similar level Uh, that was the way it was for myself it made my adhd more manageable but it didn't feel so much like I'd had schizophrenia and so I, I, at a young age man you, you think you're crazy when you try and talk to someone you're like well like you don't just like make shit up in your head and have 47 different conversations and then imagine what you're gonna say and then how I would respond and then how you would respond and then if we had this conversation about your mom and then my mom and your mom and everyone interacts then everyone's like no you're you're insane. You're like
1: Ooh, my bad <laughs>
0: I smoke a bit of weed and all of a sudden it's just like, you know, there. this is, this is, again, the issue with me, you know, I agree you fit in. And that was the super cool aspect of it for me is you, you have a group of people that are a little bit more accepting of you because you do a thing and that that's, as we were talking about earlier, you know, the your pressure and the constructs of sociability in that regard, you feel like you're part of that group just because you're doing the same thing as them. And they, they accept you because, Oh yeah, you smoke weed too. So you must be, you know, part of the weed smokers, even though you have much deeper thought process, process, you're thinking at the level that they normally would when they're uninhibited. And then they're already, they're down a couple more steps again. And that's where you get like the, what is what is this tree, man? Like what like why does the moss grow on the tree, man? You know, where it's just like you or I when we're smoking, it's it's like No, yeah, it's that's a trick. The moss goes on the tree because this form of lichen is you no know, pretty common in this area and it likes high or density or high condensation areas. This forest actually has a lot of moisture and fungal spores that support this moss growth, and there's like that, that was not what I meant, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so it's like just like the difference, so like yeah. the social aspect it was always cool, it was yeah, you know, but it's still for me, the mental aspect, that mental socializing of like we're on the same level we can we can actually interact. You know, Mm -hmm. as a young kid, that just didn't exist. I was always looking for people that were a few years older than me. And even through smoking, that's actually what I found. You know, I found people that were a few years older than me. It was was easier to have a little bit more of an in-depth discussion rather than just uh, the down here discussion.
1: Exactly. And I think for me that was – and then, you know, at a point I stopped. And then when I got back into college – because when I came to when I went to the, the school that I um, my school choice in University, I knew absolutely nobody there. I think I had one person that I actually knew out of the in the entire school. That was the one person from orientation that I, I remembered or interacted with, really, and from that, then I was able to, they were like, Oh yeah, let's go hang out. This is how we socialize. You get into that when you're in your major, you'll socialize more. Um, but in that moment, it was very much like, I don't know anyone here. I used to smoke weed. Maybe I can find people who who smoke as well and, 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 you know, interact with there." And that did build me. I will say it did build me a lot of long lasting relationships. I do have a lot of people that, I met, you know, through weed, but through other social circles as well. Um, But for me, it was when I started getting older and I got my, my weed card that I noticed when I was able to do it by myself, not so much in a social setting. That's when I noticed it could start to turn into an issue. And, Speaking now on the, like, because I smoked at a young age and now I'm, you know, 24 years old almost, you know, turned 25 this year. Um, all this goes and it's just like, I'm noticing where it's, uh, it was inhibiting or like it was starting to affect my ability or starting to affect me more. I'm noticing I have some memory issues, not just because of my ADHD, but because I smoked at a young age. Um, And now I'm just kind of like, it was fun, but now I'm looking back and I was like, you know what? Wasn't worth it. It Wasn't entirely worth it. Now that I'm like sitting here and thinking about it. And I mean, it's kind of the same thing with alcohol, because especially with alcohol is that you feel you, that one alcohol per se definitely slows you down a lot more for me. It allows me way more sociability, but my family also has a predisposition to alcoholism and, um, and substance issues. So for me, that just started creating a whole nother problem. And it wasn't until about last year that I started really kind of noticing, excuse me, I started noticing. I'm like, Oh, I'm drinking and I'm smoking way too much. I'm doing all these things. I need to pull the fuck back. I need to step back and really take into consideration what I'm doing here. And When you're younger, you don't necessarily think about that. So, And now that I'm sitting here, I'm like, okay, I'm much more wiser and I'm much more understanding of what I was going through, what I was dealing with, and now I'm a lot more comfortable uh, looking back with my – looking in hindsight and being aware of everything that was going on. One sec, I'm getting blasted by the sun.
2: Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay. There
1: we go. Okay. Absolutely. The mighty sun! The mighty sun!
0: Uh, Cameron will be joining us shortly. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah. So, you're, you're talking about... How? Um, so I kind of memory loss. The um, you're talking yeah. about uh, negative aspects of of you know having smoked cannabis at a young age, you're realizing your memory loss, and you know that that part of the social aspect of it was was a negative aspect because you, know, you forced yourself to engage in something that hurt you in the long run, even though you felt like it. Yeah, yeah, well. I mean, if you form genuine connections for it, I can definitely understand how the memory issues can feel frustrating, especially since you already struggle with memory issues to having ADHD. And I very much know how that is, how I almost entirely lost our discussion point just moments ago. Um, And again, that's kind of how I started identifying it as universes, right? Like sometimes I'm just not present in the discussion, and I, I've had to explain this to my, my chef and my sous chef. I'm like, genuinely, there are times where I'm just, I'm not here. You know, like I'm I'm here. My muscles are, are doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I know what I'm supposed to be doing for the first two or three works or three weeks at any job I work, I'm hyper-focused and I'm there and I go home exhausted mentally, physically because it's, I'm drained. But then after that, my muscle memory starts to kick in and my brain starts to wander and My my sous chef at one point was like, don't you think about how much better you'd be at cooking if you just focused all your energy on cooking? It's like, don't you think how much better I would be at everything I could do if I could just focus on just that thing? And he's just like, I've never thought about it that way. It's like, if my brain could just do one thing, I would love that. Like you said earlier, there is no on and off switch. We don't, we don't just choose when we're going to hyperfixate. We don't just choose when we're going to rabbit hole to no end. It, it just, sometimes you're exhausted mentally, physically, and then your brain goes. Why did we, why did we call it pi? Why is 3.14 called pi? What is pi? What does it even measure? Why did we need pi? Who was measuring circles in the 1200s? And then, and then. Yeah. And then you wake up in a panic because you don't know that much about pie. And you're like, I should know this. Why don't I know this? Why doesn't more, why don't more people talk about this? This is, this is deep, man. And now, and then you're up all night and you go into to work or do your next social setting and you tell someone all the intricate knowledge about pie and they look at you and go, not only am I not going to remember that, why Didn't do you ask. know any of that? and it's just adhd man sometimes you want to focus on what's right in front of you you want to do the work you want to put in the time but instead you're you can't focus on the socialization because you're so in your head and the self-thought is really important because you know you can't control and as you were saying earlier, you, the only thing you control is, the only thing you can do is worry about what's inside your control and you can't control other people. You can only, you can't get caught up on the what ifs and, you know, neurotypical people get it. You can only really deal with the now, but it's so hard not to overthink about every single possibility.
1: Exactly. And for me, at least this is where, as far as when it comes to, to dealing with a, you know, your divergence and, um, sociability and kind of like navigating my way through the world. This is a lot where I have found philosophy to really kind of, um, bring me more in line and Cameron and I actually, um, Cameron will also be able to speak on this. I think, um, during COVID, for me at least, uh, this is a lot of issues around my own mental health and awareness started coming up during COVID because I mean, shit, that was a rough time. Not not good. <laughs> it was a rough time, and for yeah. me, I, there was a lot that was going on, and so I started therapy. And then at the same time, Cameron uh, was like, "Hey, have you ever heard about this thing called stoicism?" And I was like, "No, tell me more." And we both would just start delving. And for me, this was such a vital point because I had no social I had limited social interaction. I couldn't go out and hang out with friends. I couldn't go out and socialize smoke. The combination of COVID with, you know, going to therapy and learning philosophy, it put me in a situation where I couldn't escape and think about so many other things, I was confronted with what was going on in my own head. And it's, I I ain't perfect. No one's perfect. It's something that has kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. gone through waves as far as my focus on it per se, but studying philosophy and recognizing what is inside my control and what is not, and being able to come to terms with that, has really, really helped me as far as my ADHD goes. Because it is, there are moments where, for me, I will be going in my own universes. I will catch my, and I will catch myself, have like a a snap, that snap awake moment of being like, oh, hey, I'm in this reality. And what has helped me with that is to be like, through self through self compassion and studying philosophy it's i don't it's to say to myself hey it's not bad that you're going and you're doing and you're thinking of these universes you can't you can't help that that is just who you are but let us transition here and let us focus on what is happening in this moment let's and a lot of times actually this is where my ADHD and my multiple universes comes in I I view Marcus Aurelius as a kind of like not so much a guide but as someone to look up to and so when I catch myself in these moments I will actually visualize him almost like standing behind me and saying hey Ben don't hate yourself right now take a step back let's transition and focus on what we are doing in the moment let's change how we're viewing this situation and for me that's where my adhd has also really helped me because it's allowing me to better visualize and talk to myself about how i can improve
0: yeah that's a really awesome point um before i respond to that and then dive into digital socialization you know, simulated socialization. Mm. Uh, I'd really like to bring co-host Cameron Scully onto the stage here. How's it going? Good, good.
2: How are you, sir? Exhausted. My bad. (laughs) I was up literally until (laughs) like (laughs) 7.15. I'm not
0: kidding. Man. all good. Sometimes four hours of sleep is better than none four
2: (laughs) i got like one (laughs) but um yes anyways i'm here and it's good to see you guys today um that was a good point you had benjamin i understand and i've definitely seen you work on your form to kind of fit into a way that, that fits your your function right and at least uh when it comes to Philosophy, you definitely have shown that you're interested in that kind of outlet and, you know, much like I am. And so it's it's always positive to see someone reflect on that k- kind of information that they've grown to learn
0: over the time. I appreciate that, man. That means a lot. Absolutely. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and in regards to COVID, it actually it brings up a really good transition into digital socialization. And how in the modern day and age you don't get as much person to person interaction as you used to. You know, when I was a child, the the running uh, the running form of socialization was, you know, you go out and just meet kids in your neighborhood. Didn't really matter that I had autism or ADHD, you know, it was either sit on my front porch and have my parents get mad at me or get dragged along with whatever my older brothers were doing, which was like manhunt with the neighborhood kids. So as long as there was an introvert there to drag me into something, that was okay for a while, an hour or two, three hours. But nowadays it's like stick your kid in front of a tablet, you know, let, let them watch a Twitch stream You know, I know, no shade on Twitch. I happen to, I happen to create content there, um, you know, kick and everything else, live streaming contents. You, but that's, that's the solution now, you know, let them watch YouTube videos, let them watch something else. Don't give them a way to interact with other people. Or if you interact with someone else, it's through a video format. You you get a lot less person to person interaction. I feel as though, we still need to really focus on those interpersonal skills. Even as society becomes a little bit more uh, withdrawn from large group settings.
1: Absolutely. And for me, it's it's with this, as far as with the sociability and technology, there is, there are benefits to it as said, I think in, in this situation with, uh, with, with, uh, you know, Streamyard, the service, the uh, the software that we use for the Intellectual Venture Podcast. This is allowing us to communicate and interact from multiple different points around. You know, specifically for us, the continent, but that it doesn't limit it as far as here. You can interact with someone through Discord far off over into Europe or into Asia. And so it does have its benefits of it, It, despite the time and place, despite us not being all able to be in the same room, we're still able to socialize, interact, and share ideas and such. But then there also is that downside of, we're able to do this as adults, we're able to better utilize it as a child in younger generations. Is it going to have that same impact, or is this going to be more detrimental
0: Yeah. Um, Cameron, as you're joining the discussion, if you want to add any points, I'll let you go first. And then I got a couple of, a couple probing questions to ask. Super easy ones. Don't worry.
2: Well, I mean, the one point I wanted to really bring up was uh, you can invest more in a project than just income. And that's something that, you know, like getting in the trenches, a lot of the time is what people refer to as networking on the ground, you know, the, 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 front line, so to speak, um, where your, your aspect of success in business is kind of, it's more of a marketing point that you'd use to sell rather than just creating single interest around something that's cool. You know, it, you want to create a little bit of hype. And I mean, if you're, not excited or passionate about what you're selling it's really hard to sell it Uh, that's something that's really wide known in the sales world where it's it's hard to convey that kind of information people aren't always foolish or or really want to actively be fooled if they know that they've been fooled even if it didn't fool them in the moment it'll definitely come to to it'll come around you know that's, that's something I feel that's important, especially starting out. You know, you don't have a lot of money. One of the resources I have is actually kind of referring to this where there's different steps, you know, different ways to identify how you can approach the situation. But generally, you want to have an open mind with networking, uh, especially at the beginning. And, and that's proven in most cases to be one of your best options from what I've read and And what I've grown to understand through uh, various projects, you know, it's, it's, it really is all about your community around you and, and taking care of that connection in a healthy manner.
1: I can speak per se on the importance of networking, because for me, at least with what I've talked thus far with academia, for me, at least it's anthropology and archaeology specifically, it is a very small community per se so the people that you would see at a conference pretty much like if you go to a a single archaeology conference that's going to be the majority of people within per se a state or something from what i've seen so being able to interact and talk with those people i went to an archaeology conference a society for california archaeologists And the majority of people there were from Northern California. We're just the archeologists for Northern California. That's actually how I got one of my jobs in archeology span my teacher introduced me to someone. He introduced me, he more dragged me around and tried to, and help me find a job, someone who was hiring. (laughs) And, and it was one of those like, and I think uh, per se when it comes to trying to network and, Cactus with uh, with ADHD um, and neurodivergence, because that's something that we've also been talking about, is from that, it's so important to network and to socialize, but also being able to break out of your shell and work up the courage to go and do that. It's super difficult, but it's also very, very important. Finding ways to inject yourself into a not- a conversation per se, but to in, inject yourself into a situation, be like, "Hey, I find this quite interesting. I have some resources, perhaps, that you might also find interesting. Would you be willing to collaborate on this?"
0: Yeah, in the kitchen, especially, that's that's most of what we do. Um, there's there's not the time in the world to cook every single dish yourself and to master it, so everything we do is writing down recipes and sharing them, you know, person to person, generation to generation and interacting with other people's experiences. That's what's so amazing with me with culinary is that without ever actually interacting with a person, you get a a really interesting glimpse into their life because you can see what they poured into the dish. And Cooking is always reflective of environment, of you know the time period that you're in, of economic times, you yeah. know exactly. Like it's it tells a lot of different things just based on how you present a dish, the ingredients involved in the dish, and everything else. Uh, it's there's it's a really interesting interaction in that regard that you get to see so much of a person without actually you know, interacting with them. It shows the value of collaboration.
2: I was just about to say, it shows like the success of a team, the functionality of a team. I mean, if you, if you get a beautiful burger, but your plate's all smeared with the last customer's meal, you might have a problem. You might have a problem. Don't eat that. Oh, exactly.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I, I would be curious if, uh, if you know my dishwasher was just not cleaning plates and I had to serve food under your place, it just wouldn't happen, right? You can't you can't put time, love, and passion into something and then have someone just disrespect it because they're they're not putting effort into your project. And if and if they are, it's not a team member that someone is just working against you, right?
2: I think that's a great point though. The the agriculture it's a similar with what I was mentioning earlier with that aspect to kind of what Cactus was saying and and, um, teamwork and and making sure things are functional. Like a lot of people don't realize how much work it is, especially in agriculture, Um, the amount of hours at least it takes to to harvest or whatnot. And I I don't know what tied me to agriculture right away with, with this point, other than like the functionality of a team it really proves to be one of the tougher elements of, of a lot of jobs, you know, making sure that's efficient, making sure that makes, that makes a healthy connection, a flush connection between processes,
1: but just, you know, sometimes it's not ideal. It's not possible. I can jump in on that. Sure. This is where the anthropology is going to, is going to really come in here of, in regards to agriculture and working as a team, that's really kind of what got our species off the ground to the point by which we are at right now is the ability to socialize and come together as a group because oftentimes when you have smaller smaller groups, it's a lot easier to be moving around. Um, but if you're looking to establish yourself in a more sedimentary place, you're looking to um, – set down and actually have somewhere reliable to live and to call home being able to build farm trade hunt and all these different things require sociability and a team effort i mean if e- networking i would is not just something for the now it's something that has existed i would argue throughout human history just because it's like you're a knapper. You have, you've been able to create obsidian blades, so You or at least are at that point, but per se, you don't have, you're in an environment where you do not have as much resources. Sure, you can go hunting and such, but you don't have per se enough shell or you don't have enough crops or you haven't, it's not an area you can gather in. What are you going to do? You have a resource that you're able to do if you're able to go out, interact and communicate with people given oftentimes language can be language barriers can really hinder that. But if you're able to break through that language barrier and be able to communicate with someone, being able to say, I have this, I believe would you be interested in trading this, that is, ability to break across social groups is what really enabled us as a species to get to where we are because now not only are we sharing new ideas and such we're also sharing resources
0: yeah no absolutely it's uh it's a staple of the tribe you 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 need to offer value and it was anthony bourdain who said if you're going to experience burnout it's typically because you don't feel like you offer value to a team and you know, what Cameron said earlier about getting in the trenches, that's, that's exactly what it is. Sometimes, you know, you don't feel like you offer value to a team. Well, consider your value of yourself. Why do you not feel like you offer value to the team? Does the team already possess all of the skills it could possibly need? That's usually a little bit outside of the realm of the possibility, unless it's a very established team. And even then, your team is perfect your team has uh your team has imperfect systems and things like that
2: i'm very frustrated i showed up late but that's a perfect example in this case like i'm very passionate about this project i just um everyone falters right everyone's um everyone has a battery and a a um, certain level of of calibration right where where you feel comfortable and and sometimes in certain situations under stresses, you, you make decisions and you think you can handle them. And, of course, I couldn't handle mine to, to lay down for 15 minutes. Um, so, you know, it, it's a trial and error, right? You, you, you trade off and then you have to take the losses with the wins. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just something to, to keep in mind for the future and, and trying to move forward with a better positive attitude. Um, if you can at least bring positivity, that's that's at least better than than bringing a negative spirit with your own downfall. I, it sounds kind of pessimistic, but but you got to really take 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 ownership of your problems.
0: Yeah, oh, it's a, it's a key part of the social aspect as well as accountability, right? You can point the finger. at and- had anyone else I can say, you know, it was Benjamin. Benjamin ate all the grapes, but when the grape, the grape jelly smeared on my face, it's, you know, you can, you can lie, cheat, and steal all you want, but eventually you get caught it doesn't, you didn't gain anything. So there's value in owning your mistakes and recognizing, you know, oh, I don't bring this value to the team and the current state that I have hinders the team. That's the biggest thing, you know, like if you're involved in a group project, you don't want to be hindering the team. It's okay if it's a static level, but as soon as you're, you know, uh, as my grade seven teacher would say, drown in silence. It's a horrible thing to say, but, um, you know, typically untrained people who try and save someone is drowning result in more drowning. And it's a, it's a bad statistic, but it's, Is a very real one. And so his saying was always drown in silence. Don't bring other people down with you. And I agree. If you're not going to try and save yourself, if you're not going to put effort into helping people rescue you, if you're not going to put effort into, you know, what you feel will benefit a group and you're just trying to prosper from it. You, you don't value the social system. You don't value the social construct. And truly, I don't think you value yourself if you're just trying to ride the co-trails of other people's abilities.
2: I wholly agree, yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh, excellently put. Definitely. Um. <laughs> yeah, did you have something else you wanted to add to that response, uh, uh, Benjamin, or?
1: Initially, I was thinking along, I think I kind of have some, if you have something you would like to add first, you go right ahead. Mine is kind of a, a tail tailcoat response. As far as going and interacting socially, it's being able to, 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 to communicate your shortcomings because I think as well, honesty has to deal with that of just like, hey, this is what I can do. Oftentimes, like if you lie on a resume, you know, you're over, so like, oh, I've done this. I, oh, I've done this. At that point, you become a hindrance to the team because even though like you may want a job really badly, if you don't have enough experience, you are just going to set yourself up for issues at play. And
0: yeah, I can, uh, it's I have like a you personal some experience. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I did recently, about a year ago, I had a sous chef who, um who I can't guarantee he lied on his resume. But needless to say, I have two and a half years of cooking three three years of cooking experience. Not a ton. Been in the industry a little while. I'm a fairly intelligent individual. I figure things out quickly. This person I they seemed like they lied on the resume. They came in as a sous chef. They said they had former sous chef experience, former management experience, 15 years of culinary experience, worked in steakhouses and things like that. When they came in, they needed me to teach them how to butcher a steak to seven ounces. Uh, meanwhile, I had limited experience and had only learned from our chef. I'd cut like maybe 15, 20 strip loins at the time and they needed me to do it. They burnt like six cases of bacon. Like he's like, Oh, if you just, if you just angle your bacon like this, it's super easy. It cooks and the cook. And then like burnt like six cases of bacon. It just like I, stupid things. It was like, what? Like why did you lie about your experience? And then it's so blatantly obvious. You don't know what you're doing. You know, you're making mistakes that a green bean would make. And you lied about it just because what you wanted a salary or you wanted, you know, prominence, you wanted control. You like, what it, what was it you wanted from that experience that you needed to lie about that you needs to gain. And that's always what confused me. Honesty in the social situation would, would always go further is uh, I need to gain this. How as you know, a company, as a person, as whatever, as a master chef, can you provide this to me? That's that's all I need to know. Like, how do I get from here to there? I don't I don't need to lie about it to try and gain a position that's not going to help me in any way. I want to know. Okay, I suck at all these things. How do I not suck at these things? <laughs> like, yeah,
2: yeah. And, and actually, that that puts me into um, my point. If if uh, I may, of course, you may. Um, so. Something I wanted to touch back on was the, that intellectual projects, basically, they really help communities feel some sense of pride. And that's important for a community. Having pride in your community means you're going to have better tourism. You're going to have a healthier economy from healthier production employees or, or service employees. You know, the, the, the more positive that environment gets, the more willing people are, are to work at least is yeah. how i've always viewed it based on research i i really think this is right to think one one media source that i have a uh, catchafire.org they have a benefits of community service page that on this page they list seven rules uh, or or seven points and and i wanted to bring up at least three of these so building connections, building a connection with others. That's uh two front to what I explained earlier, both on being in the trenches and then that wide picture that the, the long-term goal, maybe we're making a community park here, maybe we're making a, a local garden, um, something something that gives back value to your community, which is also another point that they have here. And you see these things start tying in and the best one, improve your mind and body. You literally physically improve yourself and emotionally in most cases with people improve doing these kinds of things, doing an act of kindness to your community. I really do believe in the power of, of kindness when it comes to that level of production. You know, you, what, what are people going to be interested in? Um, is there something that, I could learn outside of what I'm seeing. Could I bring someone in from the community to help gain perspective on this project? And those those are just points that, that to me, really stick out in this article.
0: Just in regards to your building the mind and body, uh, I'm gonna link the real and I can't find it. I'm not gonna go through that effort right now, but I do remember the quote and it's rather than saying, I'll scratch your back. If you scratch mine, it's I'll help me for you. If you help you for me. And he goes on to say that the best thing that you can do for the people that you surround yourself with is to grow, is to build yourself as a person, to grow your mind, to, you know, if, it's if i became 10 times more successful imagine what that would mean for us don't you know don't think about the selfish oh you know that what does that mean for you it it just it's us it's our group you know if you became 10 times more successful i would have nothing but pride for you i would have nothing but joy that you were able to achieve those things and i would only hope That if I were to do the same, that you would feel the same for me, that you would expect me to want to better myself, to establish better thought process, better systems, better habits. And I would only ever want the same for all the people that I care about. So it's less about the value that other people bring to you and more about the value that you bring to other people and the value you bring to yourself. Sure. Yeah, there's there's a lot to be said there.
2: And we'll go ahead and put Benjamin back in.
1: Sorry, I um, was gonna go get a glass of water and then I left. Oh, it's okay,
2: it's okay. Um, so to add on to your point there, there's honestly an article I found as I was researching this that it's by Amy Morin, and she refers to ways to kind of help increase uh, your sociability. And there's a point in here about offer compliments generously. And what she puts here, I, I find really interesting. I'm, I'm going to directly quote from this because this is this is one aspect I really liked. Um, compliments can be a great way to open the door to a conversation. That right there, that sentence, that's all you need to know. Conversations are keys. You know they're, they're gateways. And it's up to you to, to traverse through those, to, to take the time and, and form that, that journey through. Um, you know, if people don't understand where you've come from, it's hard to trust. And that's, it's the engagement there needs to really have both sides coming together and meeting at a point. And, and that's this, there's a point in here as well that refers to identifying and replacing negative thoughts. This is something Kevin Danaher has talked to a lot of us about. Um, In the past, I know Benjamin uh, and Cactus probably know. um, Yeah, we actually touched on
0: this uh, while you while you were on this morning. Benjamin and I had a had a really good discussion about the importance of negative thoughts. With ADHD, if you have something like that and you're having a lot of different thought processes at once, and they're all negative, it compounds that that horrible feeling of of self-doubt hatred depression anxiety and and i know neurotypical people feel this as well where none of those thoughts are welcome but if if they're so easy to invite them in through negative mental speech and through negative personal speech
2: yeah there's there's a lot to unpack there with. with what she said too. I mean, you, you add a, a level of neurodivergency um, or physical change. You know, physical difference. Where maybe you don't have legs, and and it's is community service seems like such a big task. Because who would who would possibly want someone without legs? Um, and I don't mean that offensively. But but I it, you talk about the end speech. You're you're most likely going to be the hardest person on yourself. And especially as a neurodivergent, I typically find that to be the case. Last night, you know, I I literally couldn't, I was staring at a tool and I I thought it was going the right direction, right? Because I was staring at it upside down and I could not get this bolt, literally a bolt to unscrew. I was so mad. And then boss comes up you know turns it over he's like look righty tighty lefty lucy <laughs> you know how embarrassing that is at 23 to hear righty tighty lefty lucy at 3 a.m
0: <laughs> hey man sometimes i, I I'm still fucking which one's the L? and then i have to the worst part is i'm like which way, which way does the l go
2: <sighs> oh man
0: no, uh, no, this I, way, I, this way.
2: Okay, <laughs> I always do that, man. It, there's, if there's a way to screw up direction, you know, I, uh, I'm I'm going that direction.
1: <laughs> I, I was telling I was telling Cactus actually about my Ben moments and how.
2: <laughs> true story. It's a true story about every single time I've I've been around Ben. There's a moment.
1: Uh, he knows. It's... <laughs> well, because it, it's one of those things where it's just like. There's that benefit of, like, sometimes it's good to have self-deprecating humor. Like as Cactus was just saying, it's just like, oh, what fucking, what idiot, you know, use the, the regular, the I almost said irregular, the 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 what's it called? Cactus, fill me in. <laughs> uh, the history, the... the 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 vegetable on the burger thing. Oh, uh, arugula. Yeah, arugula. Thank you. It's okay. That's, that's kind of a random, a random leaf. Um, But it's, it's one of those like self, there's that fun, there's that element of self deprecating here where it's just like, Oh gee, ha ha ha. But then as well as like, unless you immediately try and combat that, that inviting self criticism can very quickly, if you don't kind of nip it in the bud after you do, it can become detrimental and which is i think where as you were saying it's just like it's easier to be hard on yourself than it is to be kind to yourself because we hold ourselves to such a higher standard perfectionism is an issue especially when dealing with you know neurodivergence or just people in general do like the idea that we are the, the the advancement of our species that we are perfect people we're not we all make mistakes. Admitting to those mistakes is important, but then also being kind to yourself and saying, "I made a mistake, but it's okay."
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. There's there's a actually unless you have a point to um, add on his response first, Cactus.
0: Nope. If you have a point, by all means, go ahead. I'm patient.
2: Um. There's an article by Forbes, and and this is one last uh, list I wanted to really refer to in this conversation was um, when they one of the points to behave the behavior of people who positively impact the world um, let's see this article came out in 2014 this is one of the points I really appreciated in here they view the journey as a goal as the goal um, positive influencers don't take shortcuts or go for the quick buck or easy answer. They don't view some arbitrary goal or outcome as a destination because they believe there is no end. It's all in the journey. It's about what they're learning. And I agree with that. I agree with that. That's why I didn't frame it any differently because that that right there is very, very well Oh, that's,
0: that's beautifully worded. I really enjoyed that. And there's something that's almost exactly the same that I follow as one of my core principles. Um, a lot of top level athletes, business people, people who are top performers in every category, you have the improvement mentality. And this is something that is, it's a core part of, my my personality and what Cameron just said there sums it up so well. Um there is no end because they're like the the arbitrary destination of oh this this is success to who? You, You know, to me success is the learning. It's the experience it's the journey and the improvement mentality states that there's always One, you could always strive to be 1% better or 0.1% better. You know, you people look for monumental gain. You want to be, you know, doubled, you know, twice as good as you were yesterday. Every moment you dive deeper into a subject, you're going to have less, you're going to have diminishing returns because you should be gaining understanding. The more you do it, the more you interact. So, you need to look for those moments of, okay, how can I do this better? And there is, uh, there is a level of fault where you need to say, I'm not perfect and I need to stop. I can't do it better reasonably, you know, especially in cooking. There's, you have to draw that line where... I'm in the kitchen and okay, I want this to be the best looking burger I've ever plated. I want it to be stacked to the ceiling and, and wonderful and juicy and perfect and the proper cheese melts. And I want it to have amazing picture potential and hit the plate hot. But it's like, you can't have all those things you need to sacrifice or you need to have things prepared weeks months in advance or day, days months in advance you need to have recipes and, and procedures all ironed out and and nailed to perfection so that you can execute to a t and then have that practiced over and over and over again and it's just unrealistic in a lot of situations so it's you know looking for that improvement and then when you feel like you can move on to the next thing because you've done good enough, you know, being satisfied with that journey of, wow, where, where did I start and where have I come or where am I now? And then how much more, you know, you, you learn different things. That's the coolest part for me about cooking is I, I feel like I master one thing and then you learn a new technique and you're like, Oh my God, I could just apply this to everything I just learned. And now I don't know anything. Now I have to try and learn to do this all again with this new thing. And it's just, there's always that challenging moment of, okay, I understand, but I only understand it like this. Now I understand it like this, like this, and like this. Now I can see the whole picture and how it all interacts together. And I love that interaction. And that is the social experience. It's seeing that growth, seeing that development and seeing the journey that everyone's
1: on.
2: Yeah, being able to adapt to a new environment is important. It's it, and under under stressful conditions, you know, conditions that aren't always stable, um, like cooking. That's that's always a um, very very intriguing concept because that that's where you really expand your your zone of growth, right? When you're out out of your comfort zone, um, and that's something I remember. my My old teacher he he was my creative writer um, teacher, and he a lot a lot of his philosophy was meditation. He taught us meditation in class, and it was my only experience with meditation in a classroom setting. And I actually cool. I tended to like his class the best, actually um he he wasn't my favorite teacher but he had my favorite class because i was able to connect and 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 get into the content because i was able to center and balance myself first and it works that's awesome yeah as long as you engage with that material it works
0: yeah you want like it's creating a center and a focus and it gives you a place to uh, a level playing field to interact with. You know, you're all going through the meditation. You're all, and you're, you're just, I, I love that. Honestly, I, I'm a big advocate for, for doing self meditation. Uh, it's a great space for reflection. That's uh, just super cool to hear that a teacher was willing to, to implement it into the school system. I, I have the utmost respect for teachers and I wish the school system wasn't so restrictive uh, for teachers because they're just every teacher I've ever met that actually has a passion for learning is just an unbelievable human being. And I, I love that aspect of, of having a passion for knowledge and sharing knowledge. Absolutely.
2: Um, I, I actually wanted to bring up one point around that. So in the school I went to, Indian Valley Academy, there was a bunch of push towards project-based learning, and that's something I feel has a deep engagement um, with with community and school students alike. Um, and, and you know, outside of those two groups, I'm well, community. It's hard to get outside of that, but um, <laughs> you know. It, it, there's different ways those dynamics can tie together and i i really think that this is something we should stress on this episode that the the amount of positives from doing projects with others let's just say is is truly phenomenal i mean in the experience of learning and achieving something and making making steps towards um something outside of your own bubble again there's something that's not just going to touch your life daily maybe some other person's life daily that's awesome you know that that's that's something you should be proud of and and in society unfortunately we've we've put this um, idea out there that you know you always have to you always have to be humble you always have to be patient but there's there's also a flip into that you can be proud in the work that you're doing and you can um be uh, active you know you don't have to be passive you don't have to be patient all the time there's a time and a place for everything but
0: yeah pride it, isn't always arrogance exactly
2: exactly yeah um and, Patience and isn't always
0: virtue you yeah. know I, I yes what you're saying yeah you're finding saying?
2: the balance man and 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 being able to do a community project and successfully find that balance is a rewarding task. Um, I have had plenty of projects where I, that didn't happen. You know, I started out the project, though I hate this, I hate my group. Uh, you guys don't want to, you know, you don't want to take this serious. Uh, but look at what I'm doing. You know, I'm soaking in negativity. Um, am I really focused or am I am I trying to deploy someone else into a situation that their actions are obviously speaking louder than their words here on and how could i affect that i can affect that by showing some action myself and and engaging and hopefully inspiring people to to want to engage more there there is one point uh too because i i have this article popped up here about um project-based learning and there's a point here about cross-discipline by design. Project-based learning, and this, this I quote, project-based learning combines ideas and skills from different disciplines. Content is not taught in isolation. That's a key word right there, is not taught in isolation, phrasing. Um, Students engage in robust experiences that help them explore how a very variety of disciplines work together similar to learning how learning happens in the real world. And that's, that's where the key, the key connects, right? Where we're trying to get outside of the the school zone format into a real life format where your skills can be applied. And that's, that's tough to understand it's tough to wrap your mind around especially if if you want to be something hardcore like a doctor or a lawyer oh how do you visualize such a big big road well you you visualize it by breaking it into sections and and working working one section at a time um don't ask me i'm not a lawyer or doctor i don't know how hard that one is but um from,
1: I, from I know it's expensive I, from what i've heard it's a, it's it's hard yeah,
2: yeah, and, and, and you know, that, that goes to show, though, being in community projects, you're not only helping you, you're helping those scholars, you're helping other people in your community that are taking the time. You know, maybe maybe they want to drive on a clean road. Maybe you picking up trash for community service is helping that happen. Um, most people want a clean environment. I don't think there's many people that are going to complain if uh, you, you choose to take time out of your day to, to pick up garbage. In in natural environments, um, yeah, there's there's plenty of ways to cause and affect change. Um, a lot of it is is environmental. I, I truly believe that it, it has a lot to do with the mentality we we uphold. Um, even even if it is tough to to change that environment, it's never impossible. Should never really seem to be impossible.
1: If I might actually be able to jump in here, um, I kind of want to pull from uh from multiple different points here for me as far as sociability goes um one thing that i think is really important and that i've come to really try and study and improve myself is um not only self-validation but self-worth understanding you know where the ability to find your worth comes from because growing up a lot of mine was based on external validation, getting, being able to actually have internal validation and take, as you guys were saying, take pride in your work, take pride in the steps that you're able to do acknowledge your shortcomings. Um, there was a quote, there was a quote that I ended up creating and I don't want to gaslight myself. I can't remember if someone else said it or if I took it and, remade it. I can't remember. Anyway, when you keep going and you fail, the minute that you fail, realize that that is the furthest that you're able to go. When you come back to it, you won't fail at that point again. You will go further. And it was, for me, it's one of those, like, when you learn all you can learn within a certain period of time, I can't remember what I, Who I remember speaking about this with, but it comes to you learn, you learn, you learn, and then you kind of plateau. And it's within that plateau area that you've accumulated a certain amount of knowledge. Now you're trying to process it. You feel like you're you're not improving, You're failing. You're not you're not continuing on where you want to be, realizing that you hit that plateau and realizing that you've learned all you can learn in that moment. Acknowledging that and saying I've done I've done really well up to this point. I've done I've, I've improved so much. That will then allow you when you start to learn more. Not get discouraged and not just say I failed, I messed up, I can't do this, I'm done. Fine, getting that self-validation not from other people saying it to you but being for you to say to yourself, I've done all I can do. I can fail but I know I'm also going to continue to improve.
0: Yeah, no, um, I'm going to jump in there as well. And Cameron's taught me whenever you, you have anything you want to add. I have a whole bunch of stuff, but no, you just, you, you touched uh, on something that I always say, but go ahead. No, I'm so sorry. I was just going to say, I, I
2: only have my closing point really. So feel free.
0: Perfect. Um, so, I'm just going to refer to this and then so yeah, I said the value of, of failure and that one really resonates with me. Um, I just had a really great title for a book that I've now lost and eventually I'm going to write and forget about, forget about writing and then come back to months later and then get angry about myself for not writing and then eventually finish. But, um, one, one of these days I'll remember that title, but it's going to be something along the lines of the, Oh, finding success and failure is, uh, is actually what I wanted. And I'm going to write that down because I'll never remember it again if I don't until I go to edit this and then I'll forget it again. And the reason being, and this is part of the improvement mentality, as you were saying earlier, the the value one finds in failure is always greater than success. I could create amazing burgers all the time and eventually I'm going to come to a point where I just think that I always create amazing burgers. It doesn't matter what I do. I, I could, uh, you know, poop on a bun and call it gold. And uh, just think that that's, that's the best thing that there is. Um, but you need the social experience. You need the interaction. And you also need those moments of getting to that point where you grew, you experienced learning, and education, and as you say, you reach that plateau. Like I was touching base on earlier in the discussion, where you feel as though you've learned all you can. You know, you feel, oh, I should be doubling my growth. You can't have that exponential growth when you've learned ninety-eight percent of a topic. It's impossible. There's always the art. It's diminishing returns. It's a reverse. Uh, it's a reverse incline of exponential growth it's diminishing returns in the sense that you can never gain 10% knowledge every single day. You, in 10 days, you'd have a hundred percent knowledge. That doesn't work, but also then you have to do compounding of 10%, 10% of 10% is 1%. Um, So if you gained 10% every day by the second day, you're only at 11%. (laughs) It's weird math, but growth is such an abstract thing. And I have my point here. One concept that I consider for growth is the initial expansion of the universe. No matter had to expand into something. And when you think about multiverse theory, you think about matter rolling up against the borders of a universe and eventually creating a doorway into a new space or pushing and expanding into new space. So growth there always has to be room made for matter to grow into. So even in the personal sense, you have to pave the way for growth to happen. And what that means in the psychological sense, in the the mindset sense is leaning into discomfort. And it's a term that I'll, I'll say a lot and embracing failure and failure is uncomfortable I don't think I've ever failed once and been like that felt good I, I enjoyed really just getting kicked in the gut over and over and over again people telling me that everything I did sucked and wasn't good enough let's do it again exactly no, no one's ever been like you know what I really enjoyed being told that I'm not enough that no one finds value in what I offered you, you want growth you have to have that road for growth to happen and it's the reason people will say you can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped if there's no road paved you can't you can't drive the emergency vehicle down that road and this is getting incredibly metaphorical (laughs) i apologize for that like i said just some super easy things to ponder um but as, as humans, we are no different than space-time. We, we are beings of space-time. We exist on that time stream and our growth can't happen without expansion, without failure first to happen for us to understand what does and doesn't work because, and without other people around us, because I can do the same thing over and over again. And I'm gonna think, wow, this is amazing. I love putting socks on my peanut butter sandwich. And then someone's gonna come by and be like, what the hell are you doing, man? That's the, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. Try putting jam on there. And you put jam and be like, oh my God, I've been doing it wrong the whole time. Socks are awful on a peanut butter sandwich. It's a, it's a, a very abstract example and it's meant to be comical for uh, shift the discussion in a little bit more humorous direction. <laughs>
1: I was. I'll be honest. I wasn't expecting peanut butter and sock.
0: It's it's a Um, great combination. Try it if you haven't.
2: (laughs) Peanut butter and sock time. (laughs) Oh, yummy, yummy.
1: (laughs) Have you steamed your broccoli?
0: I apologize for all the children who have to eat peanut butter and sock sandwiches now.
1: That socks.
0: I admit defeat.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, Cactus! I was gonna say you're gonna hate me because when you were talking about expanding universes, my my mind went, "Oh, wow, that's deep." But like, dude, what what is a door?
0: <laughs> uh, interaction, everybody! Hey,
2: so, this is a prime example of what happens when you put neurodivergence in a situation explaining peanut butter sock sandwiches. You've witnessed <laughs> history.
0: <laughs> I'm glad I was here. <laughs> what are the memes that are going to be made of this moment? Oh, if the, oh dude,
1: no. no.
2: Oh. <laughs> oh. Good one, Cactus. Yeah. That yeah. This is really good. Great marketing choice. <laughs> We're just gonna have a sandwich icon on the website somewhere we' we'll be like it's gonna, Find it's the peanut gonna butter. Be,
1: yeah it's gonna be a uh, bread and then there's just these socks just like hanging out of it on layers of peanut butter. yeah, I
2: see just, the analogy now don't don't be the peanut butter sock sandwich So be the peanut I, butter I'm,
0: I'm sorry in advance but I'm titling this episode peanut butter and sock sandwiches
2: i love
1: it do it <laughs> please yes yeah we're doing it my my t- oh my god you know what's really funny is we could probably do an icon out of that have a peanut butter and sock sandwich at beach and just say just because you have an idea doesn't mean it's the best
0: oh, <laughs> oh my man goodness. no
2: that was great that was great and honestly i loved your points cactus um thank you guys yeah, that was that was a great segment to include Is there anything else you wanted to include in that?
0: Yeah, so on a bit of a more serious note, um, one of the things I was considering when you guys were speaking was that society's direction needs community focus on the local level. We need more local socialization for the the personal face-to-face, playing at the park, uh, exchanging ideas with, with other kids, you know, going to the internet cafe, that, that interaction with other people where you get to sit down at a tabletop and you know play a game, whatever it might be. But then we also need to have technology and the focus of the technological side of socialization be on sharing knowledge and expanding the boundaries of society not necessarily making sure everyone has a toaster oven in in their house, but making sure that everyone has access to clean drinking water, that making sure that we have sustainable food sources, making sure that poverty and homelessness can be eradicated within our near future. Uh, These, these should be the main focuses of a social environment on the global scale. And, but the, the culturing of group think group interaction And group development, you know, sharing in failures, sharing in growth, uh, that type of experience we need to have at the community level and we need to culture and nurture that type of an environment.
2: It's important in nurturing that to make sure it's effective, you know, it's actually going to resonate is, I think, the challenging part. With most people, why it's intimidating for for people that don't have all the details or are familiar with with um, the steps. It's, it's easy to read a list. Resonate, yeah. sorry. If it doesn't resonate, yeah, yeah, picky. I know. I said it the long way.
0: <laughs> Resignate. There's there's no G for all for all of our non-Americans. There's no G. Okay, okay. Resonate. Don't say the don't say the ass the x in sp- espresso, and the g in resonate.
2: Well, you know what? Some of us really do like Ringo Starr the best, and we really That's like what? the the guh, noise at the radio. You're,
0: you're allowed to be wrong. It's okay.
2: Oh, he is the best drummer. Acknowledging world, so your mistakes is too. the first
0: step. Uh... Exactly.
1: If you can't acknowledge
0: your mistakes, how can you acknowledge your, your, your successes? Exactly.
1: Yeah. If I can jump in on as far as the, the building at a community level, I remember seeing, um, I think we've talked about this before of your social capacity, being able to hold however many relationships or interactions before you just get overwhelmed. I can't remember the exact number 10, I believe. Okay. It, I, I'll verify. I could be wrong.
0: Our our man in the chair is going to verify. We have a man in the chair. To the internet. We're, we're fancy like that. We have a man in the chair. <laughs>
1: um, I, believe,
0: I believe it is 10 uh, direct social interactions that your brain kind of has the capacity to really dive deep into. And then after that, they're or less just surface level interactions. Right. Uh, it varies person to person, but that's the typical number. If I have to come up because with a random figure.
1: I think when it comes to. And I feel like this kind of can delve into like self-value and the individual aspect, but breaking it down from a larger world perspective of, Oh, there are all these issues. How do we solve it? How, like, how, like if anyone were to bring up, Oh, let's say poverty. There are so many social layers and contributors to that, where as a neurodivergent person, I am very easily overwhelmed when I'm trying to take into consideration because we, as Cactus and I were talking about where you create different universes. You try to, You try to think about a issue, not just from the surface level, but from the veins and the roots of it and try to get at what is causing this. There's so many people, not only in the world, but just even in even in a continent, even in a country or a state, it's there's so many people within one area. It's just like, how do you how do I fix this? How do I communicate this to everybody? You can't which is why you know you have social media might be able to help with that to a point but that's a very surface level you can only interact so much with people but as far as it like if you're talking about at a very community-based level that's just how you you really bring about changes you have to talk to the people next to you
0: sorry 10 deep emotional relationships (sighs) 130 Fifty stable relationships.
1: That's okay. That's what I'm that I, I was. And that is
0: the number that tribes were typically based around. Okay. Hundred and fifty Yeah, Ten deep so, emotional connections, hundred and fifty stable relationships. What is a stable relationship? that's that's an interesting question in the social dynamic what is a stable relationship
2: yeah we're not the stable relationship podcast cactus take the house Uh,
0: hey hey, man (laughs) I'm i'm just trying to have like a healthy relationship with you guys that's like i don't know i don't know what a stable relationship is man uh, what, but, what what is stable bro
2: <laughs> but but truly <laughs> truly i think that's a that's a wonderful question and let me write that down uh what does a stable relationship look like and we will get into that momentarily but i want to uh, backpedal because cactus had another thing he was going to say before benjamin laid his points and i wanted to make sure um you you had proper time to to speak your point, Aquatic. Hmm.
0: You lost it. Did anyone write down any notes about it other than peanut butter and sock sandwiches?
2: I looked like you were writing something down at the moment. He uh, he he started responding. That's why I wanted to double check
0: yeah i don't actually know i don't see anything that i was writing uh oh no i i was um i was trying to find the answer to how many deep social connections um because i was curious about about deep Uh, social connections versus um and again versus stable relationships my brain started to be like wait a second because there's probably a layered level of this as to the social interaction aspect what do they consider a stable relationship is it like a friend that you touch base with every now and then, like you, you can, in a town of 150 people, you can remember John the butcher and uh, you know, Sally, the shoe salesperson, or like, is, is that what they're saying? Like you have knowledge of them and their interactions on like a basic level, just the small talk level. And then on a, on a deep interpersonal emotional level, you, you have a much more limited capacity, I would assume, because, I mean, I'm saying this as a person with neurodivergence. My social battery would definitely not allow me to have a deep emotional connection with more than 10 people. I would just feel emotionally depleted.
1: Yeah, it's... Uh, Cameron, do you have anything you want to add before I... I, I... No, go for it. Okay, thank you that 150 that's a. when you really think about it if you were to stand in a room with 150 people that's a fair that's a lot of people not only is that a lot of people that is a lot of people who have their own individual lives now take that and spread it in accordance with oh you have your work you have you know people that you may game with you have you know people that you meet at the grocery store within the span of 150 people that's a lot of people that is You know, a lot like even in the the neighborhood that you might live in, so many people here that I've seen walk through the neighborhood. No idea who they are. No clue. And within this neighborhood, I can if we were to somehow establish a stable hundred and fifty commute relationship community, who knows what could change? Who knows what kind of, you know, Neighborhood improvements, discussions, uh, meetings, uh, debates could happen. But everyone is in their own individual house bubble, living their own way.
0: That's actually kind of crazy to think about. If you think about that, having one representative, probably two representatives for 150 people would almost be one of the only accurate ways. You would have to break every subsystem down into groups of 150 people. Even So if we all live in a, in a city of 150,000, you would have to break that down into 1,000 groups of 150 people and have representatives for each of them. You'd have to have 2,000 representatives to accurately hear the voice of 150,000 people.
1: And then to try and break down that 2,000 because – if you think about it, if you have someone who is a representative of 150 people having to go and try to interact with another 150 people to try to create the connections made there yeah. and try to keep those established, to create that network mathematically is absurd. A absurd undertaking to even try to comprehend that's a good point. Um,
2: you know, I, I just did the math on that uh, for for Americans. Um, at least we take the standard American population. Uh, that would be two million two hundred thirty-two thousand seven hundred sixty-six um, representatives for one hundred but, and
0: fifty people. But 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 here's where it gets tricky. How many groups of 150 are in 2.2 million? Because, in order for each one of those representatives to communicate effectively what their respective representative group. Representatives, they would have to interact with a group of 150, and then you would have to continue down a chain of more and more informed representatives who got a greater and greater scale until you got down to a, a system of 150 of incredibly informed representatives that would have the best interest of the entirety of the people, in theory, in mind. So it would be how many groups of 150 go into 2.2 million, and then how many groups of 150 go into that number, and then how many groups until you get down to 150.
2: Democracy is one of those things that works well on paper, but it really doesn't work well in process. That's the problem people have with it, I and mean, me included. I, I, I get quite well, sick exactly. of, of this system. but Because
0: but where's our representation is- as the people? If We just have the senators, you know, in your case, the senators, the Senate, the government. Where's your representation in between? That, like how – how if one senator has to deal with 80,000 letter, letters, you can't deal with that information. It's, it's not feasible. So where's your representative in between that's condensing the needs of those people into that 150 group? Or 150 person group, and then condensing and condensing and condensing and condensing and condensing, that's not happening. That funneling system that, in theory, should be happening, you know, based on our speculation here today, that, that we only can have 150 stable interactions. If you're going to lead a group, you can only lead a group with a group of 150 people, and then that group of 150 people has to interact with 150 different people. And that group of 150 people has to group interact with a group of 150 people, but like representatives of those groups. So it's only if, a singular interaction.
1: If I might, actually, you think that's kind of I think that that is this is where it's important to kind of break it down, where if we're thinking really about like the, the the systems, the social and the government systems set up, it's like. To try to take this all into account, it's overwhelming, what perhaps might be a little bit easier for people to try to do as far as solutions would go is rather than thinking about the entire state or the the county or even the district, think about the immediate circle. Think about the 150 interactions that you could have with the people immediately around you and take into account like, oh, yes, you have – conservatives you have liberals you have christians you have atheists you have and i'm speaking specifically for the united states Specifically, given each country and culture is going to have different demographics but speaking in a social sense think about from what you're able to observe from the whole country and try and break that down to the very individual level who are the people that you're going to be interacting with the day-to-day what are they going to be like what might be concerning them how might you interact with those people and have an in-depth conversation? Because you're living in the same area. You were all having to deal with the same exact kind of similar social situations. Yes. Yeah. I think having some
2: relevancy um, to the situation is, is important. That's if I may, there's, there's actually, uh, unless you wanted to continue on this point, Ben, because I don't right want ahead. to go. one of the closing Uh, points i wanted to make from my research was well it's something a lot of us have heard especially the the younger generation um i would say both at this point um there's you know beta what i think it's beta or alpha generation um I've lost they, track. yeah i i know i forget um a little <laughs> bit but but the the point is like you know just, it, we're always there's always new generations and there's always a youth um but six years ago there was a question posted on reddit is the current generation really that bad at socializing and this is a question they posed at the the subreddit ask old people um so, you know, we're going off of, uh, again, this is forum. Um, this is casual casual discussion here, but but it's really no different to a degree than what we're doing. And so, therefore, I think it's a good resource to pull um, interesting information from. It's It has a lot to do with misinterpretation. And even this speaks to that. There's one person in here on this whole list that says they had a problem with the youth. The rest of the older people were like, "No, I think they've. It's just a youth thing, you know. It's something that kind of kind of occurs when, when people don't understand fully what's going on. Um, maybe they don't understand the trends. Um, like one one thing they said six years ago. This guy, uh, his comments deleted now, or his profile is deleted. But he said fear mongering. That's interesting." That's really interesting because even if it's self-imposed, it's still fearmongering your own generation. Um, it, like to a degree, that this isn't unrealistic to say. I, I find that interesting, and, and again, we'll, we'll have this link so you can check it out later. But but it's a good read to, if you're interested in that kind of thing.
1: Definitely, I, I actually find that to be. When you bring that up, Cameron, of like the, the difference in generation, when asking old people like, Oh, do you have a problem with the gener- the newest gen with the younger generations, you have one person who's like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And the rest are like No, they're it's just something I don't understand. I think that's something that as far as our generation goes, um, that we're even having to deal with with the newer generations of like I have uh, classmates and I know people who are, you know teachers who are you know going into their careers and are teaching you know younger the younger generation and they mentioned like oh they have trouble reading it's th- our understanding in the depth to our Ability to understand and interact with the younger generations—it's somewhat limited. So we, even though the views of older generations have of us, we kind of are starting to hold similar of the younger generations. It's like if someone to say "skibbity toilet" to us—that's the most like, what? Where's the humor in that? What is? What is even that? What is happening with that? Versus if you tried to show your parents um, a meme. If you're trying to show like, oh, yada, 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 picture text and your parents are like, what is this? What, what, mm-hmm. what, what's the, uh, where's the humor in this? Or you have someone like my dad who creates memes for his class because he's realized that's a good way to communicate with him and to share ideas. It's even though we may not understand the younger generations, that does not inherently mean that there is something wrong with them.
0: Yeah, um, you have a lot of elderly people who like look at what we do here and say, you know, we're we're wasting our lives. Um, you know, there's just kids just a bunch of kids wasting their lives in front of the screens. Meanwhile, this is an avenue where we can have the same levels of discussion that they were having, if not, you know, more more profound or deeper levels of discussion because of shared information. That they were having in libraries, in, in other social settings. So, you know, the social dynamic has, has shifted. And so, where I saw a funny reel the other day, and I don't even know where, if I could find it again, but it was like um, in the 2000s, or in, the, in the 21st century, oh, kids are texting and Skyping and, and podcasting and gaming too much. And uh, it's like, uh, and then uh, in the 20th century uh, kids are you know on the the telephone too much you know, and they're on the uh, they're they're out partying with their friends kids are in the 18th century 19th century people are writing too many letters and, and it just like goes on back and back and back and that and it's like and then in the 15th century they were burning too many witches it's just like there's always there's always something right like there's always like a random gripe of the elder generation but the younger generation is doing too much of and it's just like you're wasting your the,
1: lives to go off the burning witches I feel like they'd say they aren't burning enough witches
0: yeah we're, we're not burning enough They're witches too nowadays <laughs> too tolerant of all these witches
1: yeah I can see it now on uh,
2: the the Jones show if you know what I mean hey we need to burn more witches <laughs>
1: Which statistics are low <laughs> the Witch statistics. Let's talk about witches. Stocks are down. Stocks are down. Grab your moon water are not and go. enough town mobs.
0: Oh Lord. I love I love watching these episodes devolve into chaos.
1: Hey, um we, socializing we it. at
0: its finest.
1: At least we're able to bring it back. That's what matters. Oh yeah, oh yeah.
2: Well and I was gonna say for our moon water enthusiasts out there, we're we're not fagging on you, but we're we're playing fun to the joke because you know what? We we've uh I think all of us here can can You've say heard it we're, from we're your part parents. of a stereotype. Yes. Well, no. I never talked to my parents about moon water. No no, about? no,
1: no, no,
0: no, 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 no. <laughs> hey, did you just assume
1: that my parents were witches? No, I mean, in the, you know what? <laughs> what I meant to say is that... In 2024, Benjamin... <laughs> It is unbelievable. You disgust me. Oh, um, <laughs> oh, you I see don't, it don't now, talk to you your know? parents about casting spells?
2: <laughs> We're making good fun of of this point, but, oh. but there's there is a relevancy to it when it comes to social dynamics. I mean when you see someone who's angry, do you do you typically see someone in a good mood angry? Um You know, like there's there's social cues that you can teach yourself. I truly believe if you you take the time to observe or even in some cases write notes, I know for myself, even if it's physical and I connect physically with things, making sure you have a clear process, maybe a diagram of what you're trying to do, visualize that Um, it helps you better extend out and and to to understanding what's what's more of a fallacy and and something worth holding on to
0: yeah yeah absolutely it's uh like as as much as we joke it's there's value there's value in conversation even if it just offers humor and you know sometimes it, it takes a bad joke to lighten a bad mood and I personally really love the value of humor and I do want to circle back. I had one more thing I forgot to talk about earlier in my notes. It was, um, yeah, this
2: is actually the cactus circle back section. Um,
0: it it is. Yeah. Right around this point, every episode cactus circles back and we do like four circles minimum. So circle one, um, we're circling back. Cameron's being mean to me and Benjamin (laughs) uh, here's earlier talking about compliments. Maybe someone was talking about compliments. Yeah,
1: I I think it was, it was uh, complimenting yourself for how far you've gone and like what you've done thus far. I think I was talking about that.
0: Actually, it might've been Cameron's article about how compliments can be an avenue into discussion.
1: <laughs> second circle,
2: second
1: no! this is we're so sure I can never it out. I like how we oh, say it. it's a. I like how we say we start a new circle, but at the same time, it's that circle where it's just like the line passes so very, very close, but then immediately goes and never truly ends. Oh, no, man. Exactly.
2: It
0: was just a circle to the circle. <laughs> Circling back before all the circles. It's
1: square um,
0: back. Compliments and how I've used them to be more social. So um, I've always had a hard time cutting through small talk and nonsense like that, but also engaging people in deeper, level, deeper levels of conversation because a lot of people prefer to be lulled into it with a sense of security of small talk. I have found that, especially in my professional career, giving people compliments, you know, hey, you did a great job plating that dish and I noticed your plating's been a lot better lately. Just that is enough to get someone to say thank you. And then even if it doesn't start a conversation then, it makes them more receptive to having a conversation because they view you as an avenue as someone who's not out to get them. Like I've never, Short of someone being a psychopath and trying to be incredibly manipulative, um, you usually don't use that type of behavior to then turn around and be like, I hate everything about you. You're the most disgusting thing that's ever happened. You're going to be a failure and you're going to amount to nothing. You know, if someone's going to say, hey, you did this well, they took time to notice that you did something, that you've made an improvement, you you have gone through a journey and the time that it takes to do that and to compliment on you, to go out of your way to say something. it provides value to the other person, provides value to yourself because you feel you feel good saying, "Hey, I did notice this and you've come a long way, you know, whether it be from what I've taught you or where'd you get your inspiration for this?" And it, it opens up a lot of different avenues for discussion if you allow it to and it makes you seem as though you're a better source that you can have discussion with.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have a prime, prime example. Um, I was at the club, and this was back in mid-November. I, I got this guy's number, uh, Connect, in the local area that I um, I, I didn't really... Reach out to until yesterday, and the it, it part part of the reason I didn't was because we met in a bathroom, and I didn't text him, you know, right away. Cameron's so so it,
0: dudes, numbers in
2: bathrooms. I, I know that sounds that sounds raunchy, but we'll learn, um, learning a lot
0: about Cameron today. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, but the, but the thing is, the thing is with this connection is even though it was weird i I still gave him my genuine respect as anyone else uh that I would meet outside of a bathroom situation um yeah <laughs> like it's it's essentially a channel at that point where we both see the potential in reconnecting um at that moment we were we were hitting it off well about music, I believe I was telling him about the podcast. And, you know, as a new project at that moment, I was I was discouraged about certain elements and and it's very in my head. And and that's part of the reason I didn't reach out to is I I I had to remind myself, hey, we have something going. You know, we have something worth showing and I need to I need to engage, you know, no time like the present. And and that's something I've been trying to get a little better about, uh, especially with the personal outreach. Like, hey, you know, it's okay to hear a no. It's okay to accept that um, because that doesn't mean you're defeated. It just means that maybe that thought needs reconsidered. Um, maybe, maybe it needs reinvented. Um, just because someone says no doesn't mean they said no their whole lives. And, and yeah. you got to remember that everyone, everyone should have a chance uh, at redemption, at least redeeming the, the, the mindset. You need to have some respect for yourself to be able to network properly. And you know i i've I've tried it the other way around and it it doesn't really look good it it looks either intimidating or or sad I mean who wants to be part of a project where you're like eh, you know we we kind of like doing it where <laughs> we're, we're kind of passionate it's something we do on the side you know <laughs> like eh, there's there's a certain degree people hear that all the time you got to remember that there's situations outside of your own that they're going to pull in they're going to be like oh so this is like this situation and this situation no one wants to to deal with a burden um i I think today especially in today's society with how much is thrown at us all the time extra is not necessary get that out of here so a show like podcasting especially with what we're doing here It's very important that our intimate connections with our viewers are are there. And I truly, truly believe in that. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a weird level. It could be a simple agape for people.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly it. You know, we don't determine the value that other people draw uh, from what we offer. And that's what I've been realizing a lot lately in, in content creation and in cooking and things like that is that, if we don't offer it, there's zero value given. There's, there's, a, there's no value given at all, no potential for value. Whereas if you offer it and you, you present it as an idea and you explore it as a potential and you see it through, someone could view it and go, oh, they did this. Maybe I could do something else, but use this as a starter. Use this as an idea. Use this as a principle. Or they made a mistake here. I know they did. And I can add to that and make their process better because it still came out great, but it could be even better. And then there's value. There's unseen value. So there's always opportunity to just present and it's better to just present, get it out and have, have it be criticized because you're not perfect. You, You know, you're not. So if someone's criticizing it, they're taking the time to tell you it could be better. And if you're just saying I wired it in, no, it couldn't. I can't take your opinion seriously. I don't care if you're a three Michelin star chef. If you're saying your thing can't be better, you you're done growing. You know, you say I know everything there is to know, and that's never the case.
2: There is a reason why they say uh, you don't want to discredit discredit yourself. Um, I think that's literally the active form
1: of of that you know if if i may actually this is something that i've kind of discussed with another friend of mine when it comes to like uh going on hikes and talking about this kind of stuff for me it's with me and my philosophy cameron i don't know if you can talk with this and with your experiences of stoicism but for me at least i don't call myself a stoic i call myself either you know. I'm I say I'm studying stoicism or I'm a uh, I practice stoic philosophy and thought. I don't call myself a stoic because in my mind, the minute that I say that I have cut my I have essentially said I have done all that I can. I will the way I think about it like this, I will be I will consider myself a stoic when I am on my deathbed and I can do no more to be a better person. When I'm at the very tail end of my life and I have – there's nothing more I can do and I can look back and say I have done everything I can to be a good person, to act in the betterment of others, and to be in – to act in accordance with nature. And in that last moment, I say, yes, I am. I hope that I can get to that point. There may be a point where I I die sooner and I don't have a choice in that. Oh, well. But in this moment, for me, I don't call myself a stoic – Because I feel that I, there's always something more every day that I wake up. There's something that I'm going to improve myself on. There's something that I can change to be better and that I can learn from.
2: I absolutely understand what you mean. Like with today, you know, I, um, with both my job and personal experience, uh, the job is frustration at myself uh, physically, but, but the, the other one, showing up late i i don't like showing up late i i really don't um it's something i've i've been bothered about with myself and i i like to to work on that but the the thing is the reason i bring that up is what if i quit trying to be a stoic just because i i felt you know i i i think you can always strive to be that but you can never fully honestly commit to saying that you are one unless you're someone parallel to jesus christ you know or where you're 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 living that way man like that's that's your that's your nine to five like um and and plus overtime you know like that's that's the kind of dedication that i am picture when i i am picture a master truly mastering um philosophy like seneca seneca um and uh, uh, Epictetus, Epictetus, I want to yeah. say, Epictetus—very um, different individuals, very, very different individuals. The the core values that you can get from their lessons are identically powerful, in my opinion. I mean, I mean, it, just because I don't necessarily see the true potential of value in that philosophy, like nihilism. Nihilism is pretty off-putting. But but there's... Look how many scholars refer to nihilistic teachings. There's value. It doesn't have to make all the most sense just because people... And I'm going to throw flat earthers on press here because, yeah, I think it's silly. (laughs) But that's a perfect example of something where it's been pulled out and it's been made into something, but also at the same time, looking from an outside different belief perspective, you can still understand why they believe that. Like, it, it just seems like misinformation from our perspective. That's why I say I'm going to call them out. From my perspective, that's misinformation if I've ever, if I'll ever get proved wrong, you know, I'll eat those words. But again, we live in our own realities. We choose to objectify things and, and apply our opinions to them. And I'm just being honest. That's, that's, that's a big part of our daily lives. If you don't think so, I mean, look around society's all about opinions.
1: For me, at least um, Cactus. I don't know if you have anything you want to add there. Um, I can wait. Okay. Um, there's a uh, there's a channel on uh, YouTube that I follow that I follow. Um, I'm trying to remember what it's. I can't remember the name of the channel. This person, he, uh, they do shorts. He does shorts, and he talks about a lot of different stuff, and he shares his opinions. There are some things where I'm like, oh, I wholeheartedly agree on that. But then there's other things that he says, and I'm just like, what? What is the rationality behind this? I do not understand how you can hold this view. But it's one of those things where in – viewing and hearing someone else's opinion there's some things that i'm going to agree with and there's some things that i'm not you cannot like someone you cannot like an individual and the person that they are but you can still take away lessons from what they know and from what they have learned and experienced
0: yeah absolutely No, that's exactly it. you don't always have to have uh... You don't always have to experience it firsthand if you have a, a good teacher who can you know, teach you the values and, and lessons that were learned from that experience. But, I mean, obviously, with firsthand, you will always gain the personal perspective, so there's there's that aspect as well.
2: Well, did you want to touch on any closing remarks, Cactus? Uh, I, I, I believe you were saying that you had... One more point on top of the the fourth circle, so to speak. I could be I could be mistaken here. We've covered a lot right now.
0: Yeah, honestly, I don't want to go any any deeper into any more rabbit holes here. You just think if there's anything super important I have to think about.
2: Uh, I have one more resource if you want to think on that.
0: Shamelessly plug everything. I, I guess I could look up my notes. That'd be an idea. Okay, go yeah, go ahead look and I'll, I'll read my notes.
2: I wanted to leave off um I, I was hesitant to do this or to list this one, but um it, it's it's not because of being irrelevant or anything. It's just it's uh, indeed.com. Most people are familiar with Indeed. Um Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> i am surprised I surprisingly didn't think about the <laughs> response uh, but anyways i i I digress um, there's a section in here what are people skills and the 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 whole aspect to indeed's page right here is to help users develop those skills. Um, it coexists with their platform for that reason and i I found this as I was researching and they have this whole section here, learn to listen. And I think for for someone who really wants a good place to start, this this really summarizes it well. Um, and I'm going to condense it for, for sake of time. Learn to listen. One point here, concentrate on what the person is saying. Allow the person to finish speaking. Pay attention to the person. Make verbal acknowledgement acknowledgement excuse me um the thing i would add to this because i truly feel like it's that important don't be afraid to show body language and and i i think that's that's a great excerpt for for people trying to to benefit themselves today from from this discussion
1: i actually if if i might uh as far as expressiveness i feel that that that's actually something that you really, really interesting that you bring up because I always am talking with my hand, even, even now, in, even in me saying like, I always talk with my hands. I'm emphasizing the point with body language and when you're in, especially, I feel like if you have ticks or you're neurodivergent, you have a restless leg syndrome, if you fidget or anything and you're told, Hey, sit still, you know, yada, yada, yada. I actually had, um, when I was taking a German course of uh, the a German language course at Sonoma state, I had a teacher who, if I'm not mistaken, she was like, I think she was like, I don't know if she said jokingly, I can't remember really, but she was like, Oh, something about sitting on your hands. And I was just kind of like, no, I'm not going to sit on my hands. I'm not going to take away my ability to, articulate my point i see this with my dad when he's when he's um lecturing when i when i've taken his class and i've seen him lecturing he's not seeing still he's not just staring at a camera like this talking he's not just monotone staring into the camera he's expressing he's moving his hands he's you know bringing up a different point moving it's bringing life and expression to a topic you're not just deadpan telling someone information.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: No, that's a that's a great place to wrap it up. I think um, is at least on on that point. Well said.
0: Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think that's uh, a great place to end off. I. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't feel bad if you missed anything because we Worst covered case so scenario, much.
0: We should come back to this in the year's time and see what's changed.
1: Even just the, with what we have. So we covered so much, and the, we, there's been a lot of different topics that we covered. I feel like we've I, – I, for me at least, I feel like we've covered all of our dis, uh, discussion points that I that we wanted to bring up. I don't know how you guys feel, but I felt that this was – fantastic.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I wanted to add was I, I do think it's great. Um, and, and something we've considered is, is uh, repeating questions down the line um, topics. I, I do like that idea. Um, maybe we'll have something, you know, a few dedicated questions throughout the year that will come and, and, and revise uh, our opinions on, you know, at certain points, and and yeah I, I, especially on these earlier episodes i'd love to eventually come back to some of these topics and and really uh display what we've learned and I, even if it's just a different approach you know our personal opinions on this this next approach and that, i i think that'd be a healthy experience for all of us though so I, I i look forward to seeing where this takes us and and what people think about this don't be afraid to comment you know we, we we really do pay attention and and we look forward to reacting off of our community's input and we, we we want to be here for you guys as well i really hope that this this show emphasizes that we're here to have fun we're here to have fun too
0: and on that note, I would actually like to leave a couple of questions for our guests, uh, both through the YouTube community and through, I believe we could have the Spotify questions on each episode. So I'm going to like to pose a couple of questions for our guests. Um, what have been the most difficult aspects of socialization in your life? Bit of a doozy. And the, the second one's going to be significantly easier. It's what... What has been the most beneficial part of socializing in your life as well? So for me, it's been the ability to challenge my ideas and gain different perspective, uh, to be able to to gain insight into the way that I think as well as the way that a, a group of people thinks and challenges ideas. So I like that aspect of it. So for for the viewers, what uh, what has been the best part of socialization for you, and then what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've experienced?
1: Everybody's got something to share.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, no, I I'm all for it, man. I I miss uh, I miss things, you know, and that's that's why this show is so important to me. Is is it's helping to broaden my perspective, so maybe I can approach things a little better. But on that note, I I think uh, I think we're all suited to say this has been a great pleasure and. We're happy that you could join us on an intellectual, on an intellectual
0: adventure. adventure. Good, Good job, job, Benjamin. Ben. <laughs> we're, we're keeping that. I didn't out. that's what we were doing. I, I, just, I figured that's what he's doing, when he's like, on. <laughs> Ben's like. Hey, I'm just sitting there just.
2: <laughs> you know what? You know what? We, no, we, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll give you another try here, Ben. You get one more right. try, though, okay? Okay. Yeah.
0: All right, All right. Hey, thank hey, you for to... joining us. Oh, <laughs>
2: oh, I was just gonna leave so we could stitch it from the editing. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Thank, hey, go ahead. Thank well, and on that note, we really thank you for joining us on an intellectual, intellectual, intellectual adventure. adventure podcast.
1: <laughs> Where were you guys? Where were you guys? I was, I was on. I was on. You're foolish.
2: Oh, it's a delay. Okay, it's a delay. (laughs) Oh,
1: my. Oh,
2: my God. Whatever, whatever. Close enough. enough.
1: Uh, (laughs) 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 Thank you for joining us
0: on today's intellectual adventure.
1: Thanks, guys.